0: Hello and welcome to episode 170 of the Ram Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. And this is Angel. (laughs) (laughs) That is Angel. This is Jason. And uh, we're calling this episode Keep Climbing as later in the show we'll be showing What do
1: I usually say for some reason? I'm
0: Angel. (laughs) Well, as I was trying to say, later in this episode... See, you threw everything off. It's just a whole disaster now. But later in the episode, we'll be talking about um, Celeste on the Switch as well as the first Nintendo... Like, actually, Nintendo produced uh arcade game in quite a long time, Cruise and Blast, or Sora produced. I guess Rothfell's made it. But point is, we have like, an arcade game, <laughs> so and we have of- a Switch <laughs> game, and we don't know how to introduce ourselves. And this episode's <laughs> called Keep Climbing, and that's where we're at. Uh, before we get to all that, though, we've got a whole hodgepodge of, like, news and rumors and speculation. Like, hints of what Nintendo's doing with upcoming games like Metroid to some potential third-party releases to even a new twist on the ongoing saga of the Mario anime movie so really in many ways this is it's kind of like the continuation of our last episode last episode we focused on financials and the news that came out of the briefing that went with that if you haven't heard that go check out episode 169 then come back because it's like part 2 in a way because in this episode the transcript for the Q&A portion of the financial briefing is now out Uh, so we're kind of using that as the launch pad because really the Q&A is often the most Cantalizing, alluring, interesting part Because that's when the head honchos drop the most hints And it's always fun to speculate on hints Versus just being like, yup, the Switch sold some numbers again So, uh, right off the bat Just jumping so fun, right in so fun. Yeah, yeah, so far Like uh, right off- So fun. Oh, I thought you said so far And I don't know why I agreed to so far Because that makes zero <laughs> sense contextually <laughs> But right off the bat, uh, we might as well just jump into the first thing they said If there's anything specific you want to hear com blog post for this episode 170 We do have all the links, but otherwise We're going right in because they started with Switch's upcoming online service, and that's what we're gonna start with. Um, as we touched on last episode, service has been delayed till fall of 2018, which means it's releasing a full year after it was first promised, which still is kind of sad. Like, how is that a thing? But uh, once it does finally arrive, we already know it's 20 bucks a year. It
1: comes with classic you know They're game selection. It with, um, Pocket Rumble. It makes sense. So
0: just the just never is what you're saying. Just yeah. ne- we're never gonna see it. It's always gonna be free. It's always gonna have an app that only supports one game, Splatoon, <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> is that what I'm hearing essentially? <laughs> but yeah, it's um what we do know is it's coming out supposedly it, uh, later this year. We'll have the classic game selection for all those NES games you can download. Multiplayer will be online on those, which is kind of cool. But besides that, we literally know nothing at all. And I think it's safe to say that, like, as it stands from what we know now, Switch Online hasn't really left the best taste in anyone's mouth. I mean, the app is kind of... Terrible. It's less terrible than it used to be. To their credit... I do like the Splatoon part of it. Yeah, the Splatoon part Like To their credit, though, um, remember when the app first launched and you couldn't even turn off your phone screen or leave the app in order to voice chat? You can now do both. It works like an actual voice over IP service like Skype, where it's just the little banner on the top. It took them two months to figure that one out, but at least they did.
1: It does what you would expect it to? It does
0: what you expect it to, and it only took a few months for them to realize that it needs to. But, um, yeah, you know what's kind of weird to me is, like, that's not even my biggest complaint with the app. Like, that, like, the voice chat thing is weird, but, like, the, I don't know, the thing that bothers me the most is it's still only Splatoon. Like, to your point that Splatoon's in, it's cool, but it's just, like, why didn't they go back and hook in other online games? Or, like, open you know, add support for new games as they came out. Like, even if it was something small, like, just take the leaderboard from Mario Odyssey's little, um, you know, mini games like the Jump Rope and the RC card. Just throw those leaderboards on a screen on the app. At least it'll feel more like a cohesive, overarching app. It's called Switch Online. It's really Splatnet. It's gonna be Splatnet for a year and four months or so. That just seems weird. I don't know. Um, like, it just... Yeah. I know. It, 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 it
1: would have been great to see just, like, on your... Just pop up on your phone, like, oh, let's see who's playing online. Oh, so and so is playing this right now. Not like, why is thing. that not there? I like, get it's a beta, that's... but
0: why is that not in the beta? Don't they need to test that at some point? It just doesn't.
1: I know. I mean, essentially, it doesn't even connect to your account until the game tells you to connect it. So, yeah. yeah. So,
0: I mean, Splat- and then Splat- is basically a mobile website in a wrapper, which is what a lot of apps do. That's not that crazy or bad, yeah. but. Still, it's just that's I don't still
1: know. logged into your account. So at least that, like, yeah, at least keeps that. track, and you could kind of see that like, oh, so and so played recently and did this. Well. Right,
0: but if they could only expand that to anything else, I mean, they have many multiplayer online games. It could have worked. But re- regards, I mean, the final form of Switch Online will obviously address that at the very least. It will obviously hook in with more than one game if you're paying twenty dollars a year. We hope so. That's true, knowing Nintendo would be like, oh, for $20 a year, you get one game. But uh, it does sound like Nintendo is actually like, acutely aware that these are real issues, and there needs to be more meat on the bone with this app in some level. Like During the Q&A uh, to Sumi Kimishima, who's Nintendo's president, uh, he specifically called out that they will apply, here's how he worded it, substantial resources to the service. Because um, they consider it to be part of their efforts to, and again, I'm quoting here, diversify how our games are played and to get people to play more of our games. In other words, they want Switch Online to, you know, itself be an enticement to get people to hop on the Switch bandwagon. It's not just about, like, okay, we need people that have Switches to be happy. They, he's literally like, we want to get more people to play more of our games, which means you need something co- cohesive that makes sense. I assume for you, that would mean voice chat needs to be a must on the console. Not
1: or so or maybe text chat on no, the app. It's not so much voice chat. I feel just, like, messaging people... It's probably more important to me because then I could just message someone, wait for them to see it, like, "Oh, let's play," you know, just like right. arranging times to play, which they did promise that at some point. That's Like true. setting That's play true. dates, so to speak. But
0: oh yeah, I forgot about the play date thing. That's literally one of the yeah, that one yeah. Points. So I guess we do know a little bit about it because they did outright tell us that was coming at some point in the future. But but yeah, I think on more general level, beyond
1: just that, because I'm pretty and much just in a the way same to boat. get those like notifications, like on the top of the yeah, on the top of the screen. Yeah, because I would, I would like just... there. To... The system's there. It tells you whenever friends online just...
0: I would like that just on the app. Like, I would be able to open the app and the first screen you see is literally the friends listing in the Switches menu but on your phone. Like, it shouldn't be that hard. But I think on some more general level, it's probably safe to say that if Nintendo's saying they want to use a service to get people to use Switch, that means it has to be comparable to the other services, namely PSN and Xbox Live. So I assume... You just that... get
1: some consultation from them.
0: I mean, they're buddy-buddy with Microsoft. It wouldn't be that crazy. Microsoft's yeah. open to third-party stuff. It seems like the DNA thing didn't fully work out as much as Nintendo hoped. I mean, I, there's some quote from Kimishima. I can't remember exactly how I word it. Let's see if I can find it real quick. But basically, he wasn't like, oh, yeah, uh, DNA's great. It was like, they're not... How do you word it? I have it somewhere. I think I bookmarked it. Oh, yeah. They're not dissatisfied. That's how I worded it. Huh. <laughs> so they're not a very sad side. They're just not this sad side. So they're neutral. So, mm. but yeah, he was saying that actually in the context of they might work with other mobile game makers in the future, to because they still all do three games a year. So yeah. you know, DNA has limited resources. But um, yeah, I would imagine, you know, whether it's with Microsoft or someone else, at some level they need to be comparable. So basically, everything you're talking about, everything I was talking about, would be there in some capacity. And to that point. Um, when answering the same question about Switch Online Nintendo's managing director Shinya Takahashi who is like the other big would we'll at Nintendo in these Q&As he sort of had a tease of his own that's intriguing he said we have some ideas about how to make Nintendo Switch Online appealing when it becomes a four pay service so I think our next amount, announcement will be worth the wait now he presumably said that without tripping over his words like I just did but the key takeaway here is Nintendo's hyping it it's not just like oh yeah when it's ready it'll be good it's like the announcement will be worth the wait like that it has gravitas, you know? <laughs> so,
1: I'm mean, we'll so excited to get rid of those 20 books a year.
0: Right? Like, it's a pretty dramatic thing to say if you're just planning a normal online service that's maybe feature compatible with PSN. So, I'd venture to say that Takahashi's comment is suggesting we're going to see some major releases alongside Switch Online, like almost like a 2.0 launch of the Switch, or like perhaps some unique features inside the service itself. I mean, in the same Q&A, Kimishima also said, as he put it, uh, can you tell I was reading the transcript here? I have all these quotes. But he was saying that it's less about the mechanism and more of a question of what kind of products we can offer. So that can mean the games, that can mean extra services, whatever it is, Nintendo is acutely aware that they need to do more than just be like, all right, yeah, we made lobbies. Like, it needs to be, like, a thing. Like, I feel like when they did Nintendo Wi-Fi connection way back in the day, in 2005, it was a thing. Like, it was a big deal. They launched it with Mario Kart. They launched it with Animal Crossing. I think I said this last episode. But it's like, that one-two punch, and they made a huge deal of it, and it was almost like a rebirth of DS in some regards. So, yeah, with that, with that in mind, all that in mind, there's a rather interesting Pokemon rumor that recently popped up um, that ties in nicely with the idea that there's going to be some big stuff around Switch Online. Uh, to be fair, we previously did speculate that, you know, Pokemon could be one of the games it launches with. Also, you know, you're you're thinking Smash, right? Animal Crossing... What?
1: I said obviously. Yeah,
0: and Animal Crossing seems like kind of a shoe-in because of the app. So, Pokemon's the wild card. But it's sounding more likely because there's recently a job posting on the Pokemon Company's European website uh, for a six-month localization editor starting sometime between April and June. And the job list, you know, kind of regular tasks you'd expect a localizing a localization editor to do: copy editing, content writing in Spanish in this case. But they specifically highlight it's for video game related texts, including strategy guides. And if you look back at Pokemon history, apparently Sun and Moon, when they were in development two years ago, localization for those two began in the January of their release year, and then they came out in November. So if you're an editor, if you're someone who comes in to clean up the text that's already there to copy it, to make sure what's written is good or make it punchier or whatever, presumably you're not there when they're still starting it in January. You come in, I don't know, around April or June-ish and do your copy editing. So this lines up with that pretty well. And you could argue, well, what if it's a spinoff, which is a fair point, but I can't name any recent Pokemon spinoffs that got their own strategy guide. They specifically say you're working hand in hand with the strategy guide people. So, like, Pokemon XD, maybe, in the GameCube days, that had a strategy guide, but that was also, like, a console Pokemon RPG spinoff thing. I can't see them doing something, like, XD-caliber very close to a mainline Pokemon game on the exact same exact same system. Like, that seems weird. Like, if we got a spinoff on Switch, it'd be, like, something like Pokemon Mystery Dungeon, not something that needs a strategy guide. So, I So, I don't know. I mean, you gotta take this with a grain of salt, but launching a Pokemon game... This holiday would certainly keep the Switch momentum going, especially if it's led by Smash or Animal Crossing first, or if Nintendo's just crazy and does all three of them back to back to back.
1: It feels too soon for a new Pokemon that's, game. That's kind of my concern. I, I'm pretty sure. If I mean, if I had to like make a guess or a prediction, mm-hmm. um, typically most Pokemon games um, always use the engine for like the, the, like, they like, like, yeah. the like the new mainline game and then a remake. You had Diamond and Pearl, then they use that engine for. Um, golden sun, and I mean, soul silver, and whatever the hard other. gold, oh, yeah, hard gold and yep. soul silver. You know, it's funny.
0: I had those exact, exact written you, down. Then <laughs> you had diamond
1: and pearl. Oh yeah, I just said that. And then you had um X and Y. And then they used the same engine for, for ruby and sapphire. Omega
0: ruby and alpha sapphire. I know. I'm I keeping notes at home. I'm saving time. I know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm I,
1: not. <laughs> and I mean, yeah. So yeah, yeah that's... Actually, actually, they even triple dipped for um diamond and pearl with another sequel. But I mean, the sun and moon one is a different engine than X and Y. I feel like. They've been teasing Diamond and Pearl for a long time. Maybe it's not teasing. Maybe it was just a coincidence. But I feel like we're probably going to see a Diamond and Pearl with Sun and Moon's engine before we see a brand new Pokemon game. That's yeah, just Yeah, I, I
0: think I think. Well, here's the thing. On so 3ds. Oh, you're thinking to be on 3ds.
1: Yeah, I'm thinking they're gonna That's do. I'm thinking they're gonna do one more on 3ds before they go to Switch. I don't know. I, I mean, feel 3DS like it, is on its last legs. I feel exactly. I feel like if they go to Switch, it would have to be with a new. A brand new Pokemon game. In fact, they already said that the next game, the next core game in the franchise, is, 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 on, a, Switch. is on Switch.
0: Now that that's an interesting idea. In that, who, whatever's rumors about localization, which like this is a There's real no job way. listing, I've confirmed it. This, I've seen it with my eyes. This is a real job I'm listing. Pretty sure they're not done with it. Could. Potentially, you're right. It could potentially be a 3ds game, not a Switch game. Everyone's assuming it's the Switch game. I'm assuming it's the I'm, Switch game. I'm pretty
1: game. confident it's a 3ds game. If I had to like,
0: it, it raises a good point because the whole concern man. I had when thinking this through is, I don't think they give
1: the 3ds a little bit more life.
0: Yeah, which Nintendo, we'll talk about later, but Nintendo's kind of like they labeled the 3ds as being an uncharted territory. Now they, they, just, they don't know what yeah, to
1: do with it. They just came out with a whole bunch of 2 dss Yeah, but they could sell those with Evergreen. No, titles. I know, yeah. but yeah. still, though, I mean. They could easily sell even more 2DS as another 2DS with yeah. the whatever, I don't know, Diamond and Pearl one. It's true, and to, and to your point,
0: Kimishima did say at the financial briefing that we talked about last episode, like the actual briefing, not the Q&A, um, he did I mean, do say you imagine they have how, unannounced games still. I
1: mean, so. Especially for their budget system. I mean, can you imagine how little money they're spending by using the same engine mm-hmm. to rebuild Diamond and Pearl, a game they already have built, just copy-paste the story. And yeah. yeah. It lines it,
0: up perfectly with it, my 3DS... Lifespan. Yeah, they're theory. spending very little yeah. money
1: on a console that they have to sell. They don't have to make new scenarios. Yeah, or exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: If 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 it were on Switch, though, I think they cannot. I don't see how they could possibly use the Sun and Moon engine and not make it look like cheap, for lack of a better term. Like because you know there's that rumor about Pokemon Stars, which was going to use the Sun and Moon engine and HDify it basically, so everything's crisper now. Great. But when the Switch's whole, like, premise is, like, oh, every... I mean, it's not premise, it's just how it's unfolded. Basically, every game that's come to Switch is, like, best foot forward of that franchise. Like, all of them. Oh, yeah. It's weird if Pokemon's, like... And I know Game Freak's really slow on the uptake here. Like, they always are lagging behind with updating Pokemon. It still blows my mind that Sun and Moon... It's been two years since it came out, or a year and a half. It's still crazy to me that Sun and Moon is so different from the previous Pokemon game. Like, Game Freak doing that, even though any other developer would do that any day of the week... Game Freak doing that's like whoa
1: I will give them that um, but I can't ever, see them doing that ever so. since their jump from black and white to X and Y like their Pokemon games have been like evolving yeah pretty, they, they, they pretty stepped quickly it up. Yeah. they kind
0: of had to because people were calling them on it
1: oh no, yeah, they, yeah they stayed with the sprites for way too long and I remember mm-hmm. at one point even reading it was one of the developers saying that they just can't imagine the core series going with 3D, that something about the sprites is just more lively or there's more heart to them or something like that. And until like, it wasn't. <laughs> it's like, oh, so automatically, like, every CG animation ever just can't, doesn't have the heart, I guess? They're heartless. It's heartless like, monsters all <laughs> Have of them. they not seen a... I mean,
0: have you seen the emoji? You have seen the emoji movie,
1: Heartless Monster. <laughs> so, yeah, I have seen the emoji movie.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, I haven't, but I just know it's bad. Um, courtesy of you, actually.
1: <sighs> it's like, I want to recommend it, but... Why? But... For what reason? Um, it's a interesting case study on what not to do. Hmm. That's a good way know. of spending it. That's a good way of playing it. I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a case study. It's like you want to watch it because you want to see why exactly it failed. And I don't know. It's interesting. I I found it interesting in that sense.
0: The Emoji Movie, now on Netflix. Check it out for finding out what not to do.
1: There's definitely a lot of like, really? It's
0: back of the box quote really?
1: right there. Really? Really? <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, the two minutes I saw when you were watching it, I was just like, no, I, I noped hard. They went straight into the cultural stereotypes of each region, which is, you know, take it or leave it. But they were such generic, obvious choices of jokes about like, oh, here's the Irish one or whatever. It's like, oh, potatoes, haha, or whatever it may be. What? I'm just giving an example. Were you watching a different movie? No, I'm giving an yeah. but, but I can not remember the specific ones they did, but they are doing such, like, the go-to obvious over-the-top stereotype for each, like, culture when the emojis represent a specific cultures, like the Italian flag or whatever, and he was all italian out. It was bad, is what I'm saying. Anyway, Pokemon, on the other hand. Um, yeah, I think you might be honest on doing Diamond Pearl, because my, my original thinking was much along the lines you had where you can't... They can't just move the engine over, and they can't do the next generation so soon. It's been two years... Gen eight would be way too fat. Like, they barely had enough re- like they barely came up with enough new Pokemon for um Sun and Moon. Like there were like what, forty or something? Most of them were the Alolan forms, right? Which were cool. I love my luscious locked Doug Trio. Never and my super tall executor. About a hundred total new, new Pokemon. Wow, oh, well, that's more than I thought. But still no, yeah. lowest count of any Pokemon game new Pokemon game, right?
1: Um I wanna say or tied for lowest. If it's tied with anyone, it's probably... um. Wow, well, why am I blank? Oh, Gold and Silver. That one had very few Pokemon for like a brand new entry. That one had 100.
0: Hmm? Had 100.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a Oh, yeah, yeah, so it'd be tied, yeah. Yeah, that's a It's probably tied with that one. But I guess it, if you want to be... I guess if you want to nitpick, it definitely has the lowest because that includes the Alolan forms. Which oh, yeah, so
0: I was right. There's only like 40 or 50 new... No, there's definitely more than 40. I'm looking it up. But Sun and Moon, new Pokemon. I mean, especially if
1: you count the Ultra Beast, which I guess are technically Pokemon or not Pokemon. Yeah,
0: like, that. They're, they're skirting dangerously into Digimon territory with all the different forms and stuff. But I can't find a number. I don't care enough to look. Um, yeah, it's, but point is... Like, if they were doing one just two years later, I feel like they'd be back in the rut of trying to figure out what to do. And then, you know, it's like, is it too soon? And they'd have to build the new engines, you were saying. So what I actually think would be kind of interesting is if it is for Switch, they should leverage what Switch does best, which and, is you think milking on, nostalgia.
1: And no new, no multiple versions? Or do you think they're still going to keep Oh, that? on Switch? Oh, yeah. they're going to keep multiple versions. Because now they do all those two-packs they
0: sell where... Uh, where you know you I get, you get both versions plus a hundred Pokeballs, and they saw, and they dupe people in the gang both because you get the two pack.
1: I kind of hope they do away with versions. That's just me personally. They never will, because I mean, in the beginning, it made sense, maybe a little bit, just like it kind of worked with the whole "gotta catch Catch 'em all" thing that it started with. But now, I don't know.
0: It specifically made sense before the internet because you and your friend would get different ones and then trade. But once they opened the global trade system or station or whatever the GTS stands for, um it negates it completely because anyone's accessible with anything, so you don't really need versions. But it was a... Versions existed to sell the link cable. I know, it's a tradition at this point. Yeah. And again, they are getting people to spend like $90 on Pokemon because they'll buy both because they want whatever they want. I don't really know why anyone would buy it. Hey, if anyone listening um, buys the double packs with the 100 free Pokeballs and whatever other uh, little perks, leave a comment on this episode. I'm really curious why you do that. Like genuinely... Not being facetious, I genuinely, want, I genuinely want to know why do you do that because it doesn't – I don't understand the appeal. You can just do the trade station system. If it's not or, for
1: collectible reasons because I could understand people collecting both. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, if have.
0: it's not for collecting every – like I know there's a guy I know on Twitter who he works over at Power no, World Report and he buys every du- – each retailer has a different double pack with a different thing and he buys like all of them. Well, After yeah, like, <laughs> like yeah,
1: like, they buy both versions, it's because they want to have both on mm-hmm. their shelf.
0: but i mean specifically if you're not doing it just to have it why are you like what is there any gameplay reason you're doing it is there like let us know because i'm really curious um but yeah no what i was gonna say is regards to version count i don't think they can launch a gen 8 this year so if if let's say the rumor that's pokemon switch being localized is actually the truth opposed to your actually much more logical it's on 3ds theory Mike's correct though uh, that's what I'm saying. If if no if it is is, is correct, yeah, you want to yeah. shake on this one. You want to do a bet. You want to do a cartridge looking bet. We seem to do one of those a year, every year. Um, sure. All right. All right. Let's shake on it. So so if it if it's on 3ds, yeah,
1: we'll just go for three. Oh wait, wait wait to be clear, the next lick
0: a switch cartridge. 3ds tastes like nothing.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm betting that the next Pokemon game, whatever mainline yeah. entry,
0: be it remake, new or whatever, is going to be on, on 3DS. 3ds. Okay. Yeah. Let's shake on it. All right. Done. No one can see that handshake, but it happened. I'm really. Actually, do you actually it, disagree, or do you kind of agree? Or how no, I do? think it might go to switch because I think the thing with 3ds is, I mean, it makes total sense, but I don't see why if Pokemon, if Game Freak, who is not the biggest developer in the world, is saying, "Hey, we're bringing it to Switch," it seems odd to undercut their own efforts with a Diamond and Pearl unless they outsource that's it, like which is
1: possible. That's it. It's going to be a um. It could be outsourced. I didn't think of that. It's going to be a Skyward Sword kind of situation. It's like, all right, cool. Here's like. Um, some images of what we're working on, but here is one last visit on the 3DS to say, like, to kind of, like, an appetizer before you get M- to make Maybe.
0: More. Maybe. We'll see. We'll probably know by E3.
1: Like a Wind Waker. I, Wind Waker HD, I remember like Zelda did that, or Onuma did that, like, when they were teasing Skyward Sword, and then they're like, oh, here's Wind Waker because, why not? I
0: think your timeline's slightly backwards, because Skyward Sword came out two or three years before. Oh, my Marvel bad. AMC. um
1: For Breath of the Wild. When they were doing, there you go.
0: Yeah. Um, So, do you want me to throw a wrench in that? I could throw a wrench in that in like two seconds flat. Do it. Okay. So, the reason Wind Waker HD exists is because they were doing tests of what HD Zelda would look like and function like. Because they were near HD on Wii U, so they upscaled Wind Waker as a test for Breath of the Wild. And then when they were upscaling it, they're like, "Oh, we're onto something here," and they just made a game out of it. I'm not saying the with reason Pokemon, one, with Pokemon with Pokemon they purposely. I wonder- Separating. the only thing
1: I've taken away from the example I laid was that they threw out another version to, yeah. to, to make, hold people yeah, to hold you to hold people yeah over.
0: potentially a Pokemon Switch is taking a long time that would make sense yeah I see what you're saying but here's my theory let's say it is on Switch just just run with this
1: it's not but yeah. I
0: let, let's say hypothetical let us imagine what
1: Jason is doing a hypothetical question never he, done this before I know not <laughs> he usually refuses to answer hypothetical questions he always answers with his option C Jason you which mean, is option...
0: Which is option no.
1: Yeah, option no. <laughs>
0: but yeah, so my, my my theory is they can't do a new Gen 8, right? They, they just... It's too soon. But what they could do is leverage Switch's nostalgia hype that has, like, everyone loves the 90s on Switch. What if they did, like, a mega remake? What if they took the engine that will be Pokemon Gen 8 and they use that to make something new that's, like, Pokemon Red, Blue, Gold, Silver or something? It's, like... All of the Johto game, all I know technically Gold and Silver had Kanto in it, but like the full scenarios of Red Blue, the full scenarios of Gold Silver, smush them into a brand new engine, have them do different things, have the gyms play out differently, have everything play out differently but follow the same beats, make it with the new engine, push that out as like kind of yay, we love nostalgia, that's why Pokemon Go is popular, that's why the Pokemon movie I Choose You did so well and was actually back in theaters even though it was limited. First time in a while they put it in theaters. Like, what if they did all that? And then two, three years down the line, they can go like, great, you know that engine? Well, check out all the new stuff we did with it for Gen 8 and all the new Pokemon in it with Gen 8. Basically, like, uh, it'd be like, Gen 8 would become like the Majora's Mask to this remake's awkward of Time or something like that. Like, take the engine and really run with it in the future. I don't
1: know. I, I feel like they would just, they would never. Launch like, like, yeah, a, like launch, yeah, launch a new engine with a remake.
0: See, I see, I feel like that'd be a case if it was a one to one remake, but they're doing some sort of total, like, flip I mean, on still, what though, people. I don't know. Like, quote-unquote. from That the also just Pokemon sounds like too days. good
1: to be true, which means it's It's
0: fun. just a hypothetical. Yeah, it yeah. might not happen, but, but, you know, one thing they should do on Switch, honestly, is what you have always dreamed of, a battle simulator would actually make sense because one of Switch's other big selling points, local multiplayer, two Joy-Cons, one game, you can't really do that with Pokemon up to this point. Pokemon's all been about you have your own game with your own teams, so if they want to support the, like, Switch MO of just pull a Joy-Con off, give it to a friend, and well, you can play. Like, they need some sort of stadium, coliseum, in yeah, exactly. Something. It'd be like their stadium. Right, so, potentially. I don't know if it'd be as granular as what you ultimately want in a battle simulator, but this is probably, whatever this Pokemon becomes is probably the closest you're going to get to it, at least for foreseeable future. Mm. Just food for thought. But yeah, so we'll see what Pokemon is. I mean, we have a cartridge bet, a Switch cartridge bet licking, riding on it, so. We didn't specify the number of licks. I'm going to assume you're going to take the cheap way out and just say one even though i did three for the last bet but that's fine
1: well, that's because you're weird
0: i know and we put it on video and you didn't have you only have to put this one on video i'm not we i did not think this bet through anyway so while we're talking rumors pokemon aside there's one other one worth bringing up um and that is metro prime 4 so anyone that's up on their nintendo probably knows that's being reported recently that Metroid prime 4 is being developed by, by uh, bandai namco And the rumor started when some folks were snooping around LinkedIn. They discovered various personnel who listed various aspects of the project that, once you put together, you're like, oh, they're obviously talking about Metroid. Like one guy said he's working on a first-person adventure shooter, exclusive to Switch. Another guy at the same studio listed that he had concept concept designs and meetings with Nintendo to meet requirements and show off, like you know, all the various stuff, and that he had high-level meetings with stakeholders at Nintendo and Bandai Namco. And then Eurogamer, through its own sources, came out and was like, yeah, Bandai Namco's making Metroid Prime 4. Which I feel like we've heard tossed around before, but now it's kind of more set in stone. Uh, so here's what we know, of, or what we mostly know, or what we presumably know. Here's what's, if the rumor's true, here, or the reports are true, here's what we know. Games development is currently taking place primarily at a new Nam- uh, Bandai Namco studio in Singapore. And the, uh, the intention is to maybe ultimately move it back to their main Japanese studio as development progresses. But starting at the Singapore Studio, which is actually a very good fit because I don't know if you remember when Disney bought Lucasfilm and Star Wars. Lucas Arts oh, yeah, we do all remember
1: that day. Yeah, I mean where, where were, were you, you? Yeah. <laughs>
0: Where were you when Disney bought Lucasfilm? No, but uh that when they bought it, they cancelled this really ambitious, really cool looking Star oh, yeah, Wars game. Yeah, the
1: one the title with a good number. Star Wars
0: thirteen thirteen. And it was pretty far in development, it looked like and it was very, you know, sci fi adventure, very like gritty, whatever. Guess where most of those developers ended up being hired shortly thereafter? Bandai Namco Singapore. So what are the odds that all the signs point to the studio with all the guys that know how to make space sci-fi games that look good are now making a space sci-fi game that will presumably be good? So it kind of, you know, it matches up nicely. And then separately, we also know that Nintendo and Bandai Namco, of course, have a very good working relationship. After all, Bandai Namco... They did development of Smash Bros. for 3DS and Wii U. They did Pokémon Tournament, if you want to look further back. They did your favorite Star Fox, Star Fox Assault. They did your favorite Mario Sports game, Super Mario Sluggers. Uh, Basically what I'm saying is, based on their track record, you're going to love this Metroid because, like... They seem to just do your favorite thing. So this will be your all-time favorite Wait, they do
1: Sluggers or Strikers?
0: They did Sluggers, Strikers. Is Strikers your favorite? I thought you liked Sluggers. No, I appreciate sure. No, they, Strikers was next all Oh, yeah, game, you're, so right, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. Yeah, they did Sluggers. Um, yeah. So, yeah, your favorite Star Fox, your favorite Mario Baseball. Soon your favorite um, Metroid, presumably. Maybe. But, yeah, who knows. But um, I don't. Yeah, thank you. Uh, neither do I. That's, that's a rumor. <laughs> no, but... Uh, so I'm, like... You know, you have reason, I guess, to trust this. I have reason to trust it because I think it makes sense. But not everyone, of course, feels that Bandai Namco is necessarily the best fit for this. Because, you know, they don't really have a history with first-person shooters. But then again, neither did Retro Studios before Metroid Prime 1 became a thing.
1: They also didn't have a history with 2D platformers. And And they made Donkey
0: Kong, exactly. Like, I I think what's worth keeping in mind here for people who are a little... Worried about this these reports
1: sometimes the best people suited for a job are the people that haven't had a ton of experience in it sure I'm not that's saying that sarcastically no no there's
0: there something to be said for that it's not what I was going to say but now that you raise that point that's a yeah because they don't have the word. tunnel
1: vision the people that have been doing it of, like for all these years they bring a fresh perspective yeah exactly
0: but not only that I mean look
1: what happened to the Metroid series when it went to Retro Studios yeah. I mean, exactly. it probably wouldn't have been first person. But but
0: here's the thing um, it's not just the developers, it's also who has the vision, and the Nintendo people hold the key of the vision. It's about the collaboration, really. So, like Metroid Prime 1, the guiding hand for that, going first person, all that was Miyamoto. He sort of walked them through it, but now was up to Retro to do level design and do, you know, compass on the mechanics. But Miyamoto was kind of there every step of the way, advising and giving guidance. Then you look at, you know, something like Metroid Other M, and yeah, Team Ninja did a lot of it and uh yoshinoyo sakamoto who's like the guy in charge of the metroid series now was heavily involved but that one was met with obviously a little less success than metroid prime like not everyone loved other m so it's not my point is team ninja is a very good developer retro was an unknown is the person steering the ship the miyamoto or the sakamoto that kind of determined how the game turned out so as long as the right person's at the helm at nintendo I think it'll be fine. I mean, Bandai Namco's proven they have good developers because look at Smash Bros. It was fine.
1: Do you think they could make a Smash Bros. on their own without Sakurai?
0: Nintendo or Bandai Namco. Bandai Namco. I think now that they've done it once with him, they could probably follow his steps. What?
1: Technically twice. Technically
0: twice, like one point five (laughs) times. They could follow in his footsteps pretty well, I bet. But I think some of the more absurd stuff that he always throws in there would not be there this time. It'd feel a little more. It lacks some of the eccentricity, I guess. Yeah,
1: although some of the absurd stuff and we some of the without. modes, yeah, they, yeah,
0: yeah. but um, but yeah, again, that's kind of to to my point here is like the guy that steers the ship is the one that really determines the outcome. Like Bandai Namco can make a very solid Smash Bros, but would it feel fully Smash Bros, or would it have what that little piece? It depends on who's leading the team and what their vision is.
1: I mean, that board game,
0: oh, my God! Oh, the Smash Bros board game. Mm-hmm. I saw
1: that. Yeah, yeah. It looks. Wait, no, I'm talking about the one in Smash Bros. Oh, I 4. thought you meant... You know
0: there's fans making a no, Smash no, Bros. Board, yeah, yeah. board game. No, <laughs> yeah, I yeah. thought you
1: meant. I mean, fans make everything.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh, you're talking about the one, like, the single player. Yeah. Yeah, that was... Again, it's the vision of,
1: of actually. <sighs> See, in Sofika, like that board game in Smash Bros., I forgot what it's called. Um, I don't remember. But that has, like, a built-in mechanic that you can only find in the board game that I thought would have been awesome as its own mode, which is basically... Well, in the board game, you collect different fighters, Mm -hmm. and then when the board game is over, you have one fight where each stock is the character you collected. So your first life could be Mario, then it could be Pit, then it could be Mars, then it could be Bowser. Right, right. It just depends on who you collect. Yeah. And I just thought that was really awesome. Like I would have loved to have almost like a...
0: Like a regular fighting mode that follows that. Kind of like
1: Pokemon. Like Instead, like, oh, you put your stock. Like, if you set your stock to four... Then you pick four characters. You could use four Marios, or you could maybe do like Mario Bowser. So, something like, kind what of I'm Pokemon. picking up
0: on here is you want every game to become your Pokemon Battle simulator, ultimately, where you pick your team and they just go with them, which is fine. I'm just kidding. But, like, it's not a bad thing.
1: Well, this is more considered like Marvel Capcom. Yeah, this is a little more Mario
0: versus Capcom. But it, it I mean, also fits the mold well, yeah, of the Pokemon game. Well, yeah. And then, let me guess, you also want a Mario Kart where you, like, you pick your racers ahead of time and each race. It's like, oh, my team. That you do you're... pick your racers ahead No, but like you can rotate them track to track. Actually, that'd be kind of cool. If you could have like a team race. Because like real racing, you have teams. You yeah. Have,
1: like, team. the... It's not the same. I like, mean, facetious, but... for my Ma- car, for I feel I mean, like you should be able to maybe change vehicles. That could be interesting, but yeah, I don't know. Because, I mean, you obviously have tracks designed for certain types of vehicles. Some vehicles benefit from straightaways more than turns and right. blah, blah, blah. So Especially if you... bikes versus cars. Yeah, so if yeah. you do a Grand Prix and you pick... I don't know it's like you're kind of forced to pick a very neutral vehicle so you're not screwed over Which by, I imagine by the random by, by the randomness
0: oh yeah well mark no no no
1: no by the randomness of the track select especially uh-huh. online because you pick your vehicle and then you're mm-hmm. kind of stuck there like all right you're stuck with the vehicle and then like oh this is like the worst vehicle for that track they should
0: just let you pick your vehicle once the track selected, it opposed to the other way around yeah but, but then, then everyone's yeah, gonna pick yeah, that, yeah yeah but then it slow it, gets, solid, it yeah. gets messy yeah.
1: So, it, it's a lose-lose. That's yeah. why that game is what it is. Yes, I know your feelings.
0: Fun as a party game, but nothing more. Yeah, yeah.
1: it's just the fun game.
0: But, but yeah, with with Metroid, just to sort of reel it back here for a minute, Um, I suspect that this Metroid Prime 4 is going to be what people want it to be. Like, I think it's going to be good. It's not going to be another M. Like, Sakamoto's probably in charge of this. He was in charge of, of the other Metroids. But he, like... Other M was a new take on the series, which was intentionally done as a new take on the series. Like, Prime 4 is Metroid Prime 4. Like, he. I don't think they're going mm, to steer the Federation ship the wrong Force. way. Yeah, which was a spinoff. Again, you know, it's mm. kind of. But I, I suspect with a team of ex-Star Wars developers behind him, or whoever he may be the leader, I think we're going to get an actually good game. But it does beg the question of, like, what is a good Metroid Prime game at this point? Like, what would you want to see in Metroid Prime 4? Like, I have my crazy theories. Which I'll get to in a sec, but I'm curious. Is there anything, like, when you hear Metroid Prime, like, what is your vision of what the fourth Metroid should be, if anything? Or is it just, like, you just want them to catch you off guard in some way?
1: I mean, I wanted to progress the story. I mean, Metroid Prime 1, 2, and 3 kind of wrapped wrapped up everything that had to do with, like, Metroid Prime. Right. Like, there's really nothing left to be said about Metroid Prime without them not doing, like, another prequel. Which would. Again,
0: close to my train of thought
1: here. Like, I mean, but I mean, that's just like story wise. I just wanted to progress the story and. I don't know. It, it, it's just kind of weird that it, it would still be called Metroid Prime at that point, unless they figure out some creative way to bring it back good. without Dark Samus. I would like for them to just keep Dark Samus done.
0: Yeah, that was that got a little. I repetitive. mean, it did. No, I and mean, I, I, I liked
1: it. I, I liked mean, it, but it was, I, I, I like that like Dark Samus was teased at the end of the first one, and then Dark Samus kind of tormented you in the second the one, second, yeah. and then the third one was like the climactic final yeah. resolution of it.
0: For me, I almost,
1: I weirdly enough, like because it's Metroid Prime.
0: I kind of want to see them rope back in Metro Prime Hunters' wacky cast of characters. Like, let let me explain. Like, I don't think they should actually be in the game in a serious way. But when NST made Metro Prime Hunters, their uh, Nintendo Software Technologies up in Redmond, it, it was actually an American-made Metro game, Metro Prime Hunters, which is well, so is the Retro. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Anyway, uh, when NST made Hunters. They, you know, they introduced all these other guys. And, like, Prime 3 and Prime Federation Force, whether you love it or hate it, did sort of carry can you that. Can name them all? I can name some of them. There's which six. I'll, what? There's six of them. I can name three off the top of my head. Silex, Weaver, and Trace. Weaver? Not Weevil. Weevil. We, not Weevil. Something with Weave. No, there is Weaver. I'm Googling this. It's I'm Weevil. Possible.
1: Is it Weevil? Yeah, you said Weaver.
0: Yeah, and then I said Weevil and I went back to Weevil. And what Weevil. was the other one? Uh, Trace. Yeah, yeah, I don't remember the other thing. But the point I'm getting at is like, Silex at least, popped up in Prime 3, special ending, popped up, popped up in you another one. <laughs> I said Silex already. Oh, you did? I said Silex, Trace, and Weevil. <laughs> <laughs> or I said Weaver. But anyway, Silex has popped up in multiple Primes since Hunters. Like, Silex is canon now, whether you like it or not. They're all canon now, whether you like it or not. So... Like, it's tricky, because I don't want them to go against the ambience of Metroid, like, I like... I want Prime 4 to be as creepy and isolated feeling as Prime was 1 was, or to have kind of the weird, like, you're being stalked like Prime 2 sort of did, but... He, I don't know, like, I feel like these guys somewhat should be relevant. Like, I don't think Spy, Oh, Spire! That's another one.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah, he's the dude with the big orange thing, right?
1: He's just a giant volcanic monster. Yeah, and he has a big,
0: like, orange ball for a hand. Like,
1: I don't think he should pop up. I
0: don't think Trace with his... Cyclops looking face or Weaver with his big orange ball hand Weevil. or or whatever, not Weevil, uh, Spire with his big orange ball hand. I don't think you should be playing Metroid prime four and you round a corner and they're just there and they're like, sup, I'm a hunter too. How's it going? Like that would be weird, but if they could be central to the story without being like the center of the story. Like if they're involved in some way, but not actually core to it, that'd be kind of cool. Like maybe through ship's logs or like transmissions or things, things you scan or flashback cut, cut scenes or something they pop up in some capacity and you learn about them. Maybe Silex, since he already is kind of in the other Prime games. Maybe he has a hint of what Dark Samus was into a little. Like, you do come across him maybe occasionally. Like, if they something like that, it'd be cool. Because they are lore now. Like, to your point that the Prime story is over, like, Prime is done, yeah, but we have these other characters in this world that they are already built out and continue to build out, even with Federation Force, that, um, which I actually kind of like, to be honest, but you know, they built it out that it seems at this point weird to just pretend they don't exist. So if they did in a subtle way, which is the best way Metroid tells its story, is where you do it through the ship's logs and you kinda of learn what you want to learn and the scans, that I think would be cool. Like that I would like to see them do. But I, I don't know, like did you even like those guys? I know a lot of people are like, uh hunters, but I actually liked Hunter. It is more action y, I admit. But
1: No, I like hunters.
0: Yeah. So I, I,
1: I My favorite I like hunter cool. was Candon. Which one's that?
0: I don't even remember. Was that the, the spider thing? Or like the the thing that had like the sharp legs? That was Trace. That was Trace.
1: And was his favorite was... I Nox- always think Silex
0: is Trace and Trace is someone else.
1: And Obus' favorite was Noxus. Green one? No, that's a Weevil.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, he's the one with the Cyclops face. I'll yeah.
1: just let you Google them later.
0: Yeah, I should. The fact I remembered a few of them and then randomly thought of Spire halfway through my plane, <laughs> I'm pretty proud of. I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty proud. It but, was cool. Uh, I
1: like that he could climb walls.
0: Yeah, no, like multiplayer was so fun, and to actually, to tie this all back in with the Switch Online discussion, I'd like to see them bring back online multiplayer.
1: Not I mean, and Metroid Prime
0: Four. Why not? They could build a full single player game and a full multiplayer game, and just pair them together. There's no reason just because Metroid Prime Four has a full fledged single player game, you can't leverage Nam uh, Namco Bandai Bandai Namco, whatever you want to call them, being a massive company that can have a separate team doing multiplayer at the same time and then put them together. I mean, that's, that's what like. Halo does. It just it just seems, with Switch Online being what it is, and with my pipe dream of Prime 4 having all the hunters in it in some capacity, it just seems like, why not make them playable in multiplayer? Why not bring that back? It could be two sides of the same coin. I mean, even if it's not the most logical thing for a real Prime game, it does make sense for Switch Online. Like, if this game comes out within the first six months or a year after Switch Online does that mirrors almost exactly when Hunters come, huh. came out so it could line up is that
1: what it takes to get you to stick with the game for a long time then I'm all for it
0: wow subtle burn okay but uh, and, oh, <laughs> and to my credit there is at least one online programmer on LinkedIn involved with Prime 4 like the same people that you know made this whole rumor start one of them is an online programmer so it seems like they're doing something but but you know what to go even one step further never mind online I mean online would be great they should do local multiplayer too I mean you you have a system with two Joy Cons. That doesn't really make sense in this case, but they can go full hunters and have and use the other aspect of the system that no one really does, which is local wireless play with multiple switches, which is super hunters at that point. And something like Metroid kind of feels like the first game that can really shepherd in that approach to multiplayer. Like some games have it, but no one really does. So do you think they'll
1: it. go twin stick or I think do you think it'll have the motion controls? I think they'll offer both. So
0: if you're mm-hmm. doing on the TV, you can do motion, and because really the motion controls are. twin or do, you st- th- or
1: do you think they'll have a classic controller mode with just one stick?
0: They may as an option, but quite frankly, motion controls in metric Prime Three are twin stick and everything but oh, actual yeah. sticks. So twin stick when you're in handheld motion, when you're in the or twin stick when you're in the dock. I guess mean, I guess, guess a
1: single stick when you're doing just one Joy-Con.
0: Yeah, but I don't think that's gonna be a thing. That's kind of my point. Like, I don't think you could, in theory, pop off a Joy-Con, but I don't think for Metroid it makes sense when you have a system that allows you to wires to connect multiple switches locally. You wouldn't use that for a shooter like Metroid to be a good way to really push that forward. And it's fitting because in the briefings Q and A, watch how I bring this all together. Miyamoto made a comment that Nintendo wants Switch to be owned not just by every family but by every single person. That's his words, not mine. That's his exact phrasing. And to achieve that, you wouldn't... Um, he goes on to say that you would want people, now I'm paraphrasing, to carry around switches for local competitive wireless connections. Like the way to get everyone to have a switch is everyone, you know, you go to a thing and everyone's playing on switch and you're like, well, I don't have a switch. I should get a switch. Uh, he wants it to be to point, this is the exact quote, where consumers take it for granted that everyone has a switch. And I can't think of a better way to launch or really push the idea of, hey, everyone own your own switch than to make local, wireless, you-need-both-Joy-Cons-on-your-Switch-multiplayer-Metroid as kind of uh, the gatekeeper of this idea or something. Like, a full console-quality multiplayer shooter, you could play anywhere. That seems like the way to do it. So, I don't know, that's my crazy theory. I mean, it's a lot to ask in Metroid Prime 4, I get it, I know. But the series does have a history of single-player, does have a history of multiplayer. Whether you like it or not, Federation Force does count as part of this history. Hunters does count as part of this history, so why not offer the best of both with Prime Four? They have the manpower if they need it. Namco Bandai is no Retro Studios in size, so I don't know. It's not like you're almost taking it back at the idea of multiplayer in a metro in Metro Prime Four. And if it doesn't detract from the single player, I
1: don't see why. It would no, be bad. I mean I just don't care. Fair enough. I mean, if it's there, that's cool. If not, it's just like that's not what I'm going to get hyped about. mm-hmm
0: well, I'm not getting hyped. I'm just saying, being nice to have. Like the main thing I want is,
1: well, like you said, like Metro. I mean, there's like a, another team being dedicated yeah. to that, or thing.
0: even you know, it could be the same team, but their team could be quadruple the size of what Retro was, and it'd be fine because obviously Retro did fine with a fourth of the size. You know, it's, we all know their full the full breadth of their team or capabilities or anything. So, so we'll see. I mean, that's Metroid, that's Pokemon, both um, potentially big parts of Switches on uh, early online days, alongside you know Smash or Animal Crossing or whatever it may be. But beyond Nintendo's own games. One thing that's crucial for Switch Online is, of course, going to be third-party support. I mean, after all, if you again look back at something like Nintendo Wi-Fi Connection, um, it launched with a Tony Hawk game alongside Mario Kart. Like, it was like Mario Kart DS and Tony Hawk's American Skate Land? I think that's what it was called. with an 8 instead of the word skate. It was like SK-8 land. Um, and then Animal Crossing came two weeks later. So, you know, you need some sort of third-party support. If you look at the Wii U's launch with Nintendo Network, it had then and there third-party games hooked right into it so I imagine Switch Online is going to have that too Um, Nintendo does seem to be laying the groundwork for it already which is kind of nice I mean we're over half a year out and already they're sending out this email the other day to Nintendo account holders saying hey your Nintendo account can now be used by other publishers besides Nintendo which you know seems critical for any Unified online service, so it's nice minimum they're doing that it.
1: All other consoles do, yeah.
0: But it's nice that they're now. I don't know why that wasn't there before, but it's nice that they're now doing it. Especially in light of comments that Kimishima made last month. Um, I don't. We may have said in passing on the show. I don't remember, but Kimishima was saying in an interview that Nintendo wants to use third-party games to fill the gaps of the Switch lineup. So stuff Nintendo can't make, they want other people to make. You know, it's probably why we see Nintendo publishing things like Skyrim or last week's Dragon Quest Builders release or most notably recently in Europe, it came out that Nintendo is actually the one publishing Dark Souls Remastered for Switch, at least the European release. And that that was actually particularly interesting because Dark Souls Remastered is being published by Nintendo in Europe, It's being developed, outsourced to uh, Virtuous, the guys that did L.A. Noire for Switch. So basically Bandai Namco just turned over the keys to the Dark Souls kingdom to two other companies and said, sure, make us some money on Switch, and then just like is taking the profit. So... If Nintendo get all the publishers to just be like, yeah, we'll just hire a contractor, and yeah, you can publish it, the lineup could be great. But, um, you yeah, know, it's a win-win, really. Actually, Bandai Namco is interesting in that um, I don't know if Nintendo taking over Dark Souls publishing helped or not, but Ridge Racer might be coming back. and might be a Switch exclusive, part of the same rumor as Metroid. Apparently, some of those LinkedIn profiles listed Ridge Racer 8 or 7, and it would be Switch exclusive.
1: What's um, the hook of Ridge Racer?
0: It's a fun arcade racing game. I was obsessed with Ridge Racer DS, which admittedly is one of the worst ones in the series. But I loved it. I played it so much. I don't know. It's just a good arcade racer. It was big in the early PlayStation days because it was the first of its kind on PlayStation, and it stuck with PlayStation for a while. But yeah, it's just... just, I like arcadey racers, So, as we'll discuss with and Blast later in the show. But there's not much of a hook beyond that. Okay. But the new one might be on Switch. Um, But anyway, more of the point. More of my point. Any good third-party game that can pad the lineup is not just good for Switch, but good for Switch Online. And of course, right on cue, with all this brewing, are rumors of a couple third-party games that feel like they'd be perfect. More rumors?
1: Anything solid?
0: This one's pretty close to solid. This one's basically solid. Activision said in their financial call last week that Treyarch is working on the next Call of Duty. And then lo and behold, here come these reports that Call of Duty Black Ops 4 will be on all systems this holiday, including the Switch developed by Treyarch. So that's as close as solid as we get. And Treyarch, Treyarch's handling development for it on Switch and everything, according to the reports, which is great, because Treyarch's actually really good at making Call of Duties on Nintendo systems. The Wii ones are really solid, all made by Treyarch. Black Ops 2 at the Wii U launch, really fun, really good quality port, made by Treyarch. So I'm pretty hopeful this one will be too. I also like that for those that are just curious about what's going on with Black Ops these days, Black Ops 4 is apparently going to be scaling back from some of the futurism of recent Call of Duty's in favor of more grounded modern warfare. No pun intended. That is not intentional. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's likely a response to the fact that the series over time... has became de- Halo? <laughs> yeah, it became Halo, and as a result, its sales started declining pretty heavily up until, well, relatively heavily, up until uh, World War Two. Or World War One, whatever the last Call of Duty was, the one that went back. I think World, World War, War II. Two. Yeah, that one. They went back to
1: the World War Two. Well,
0: and then yep, and then sales went up. So now they're going back to Modern Warfare with Black Ops, oh. and we'll see what
1: happens. But people for Switch, say they're tired of World War Two games, and but I mean they speak with their wallets. And, well,
0: I mean they were tired of it, which is why they stopped for like six years, and now they're like, oh, this is new <laughs> and different. People have short memories, but but it's noble for Switch with. um Call of Duty is it fills a pretty good gap in the lineup. Like it's out this holiday. It's one of the biggest online shooters around. And to be realistic here, like Metroid Prime Four and its multiplayer aren't coming out this year. So if you want to cater to a similar crowd, you know, Black Ops Four can do that, especially if you're talking about the online aspects. Especially those people that have been playing doom multiplayer. Yeah. I mean that's already there. But no, this, no, no, yeah, not, but yeah. this yeah, this caters well, yeah, to that. I mean, are there exactly.
1: is there any other like for I guess high action Morphe's Law,
0: which got delayed but when it comes out but that's more of a Splatoon no I mean that's out right now oh wait Morphe's lost third party anyway that's out uh, right no now. Doom is it there's like other first person indie games but like in terms of shooters it's basically Doom and I don't hear very many people talking about Doom online Doom Doom I feel like people Doom is very Metroid like at least like I said this when I talked my review of it but Doom is very is much
1: rated M Metroid Prime
0: it's a rated M action oriented Metroid Prime like atmosphere is very similar. The fact that you scan things with is a very heavy similar. shot of
1: testosterone and more ways a heavy than shot more... of
0: testosterone, a heavy shot of just like gore, yeah. lots of swearing, but well, not a lot, but some. It's not Duke Nukem levels, but um, yeah, it's basically a super fast Metroid in terms of pacing. So for that, I feel like I feel like with Doom, people swing towards single player more, especially because you have to download multiplayer separately. Even though it's free, it's still not on the cartridge. So, like, Call of Duty is going to be, you know, multiplayer first, single player second. That's how it always is. That's something appealing to Switch owners, potentially, or potential Switch owners. Like, oh, I'd love a Switch, but I also love like my Call of Duty. Well, guess what? Here it is on Switch. So, yeah, so that that makes sense if that rumor is true. But then there's also rumored game number two that would make sense for online. And this actually, to your point about, like, oh, Doom people might like Call of Duty. Well, Mario Kart people might want a new racing game in the kart cartoony genre. They, mean they
1: might want a good racing
0: game. Oh, shots fired. He, and what we're talking <laughs> about here is there's a rumor there's a new Sonic racing game coming. And that's your that's your your favorite thing, isn't it? Like You, love, first you one, love Sonic and uh, all Star Racing Transform, don't you?
1: Yeah, I love Sonic and All-Stars Racing Transform. The first one was okay. I like always say
0: the full name every time.
1: <laughs> yeah, not to be confused with Sonic and All-Stars Racing. Um, yeah, the first one was okay. I don't know. It definitely felt it didn't feel as complete. It definitely felt like they had an idea and they were just kind of experimenting with yep. it. Like, that one was definitely more Mario Kart-ish. Like, all their... Like, if Casey didn't know, like... It's kind of like Double Dash in the sense that every character has their own, like, ultra move. Like, if you're far enough behind, their star equivalent is, like, if you're Sonic, you turn to Super Sonic and you just, like, destroy everyone on, everyone on the road. Mm-hmm. Everyone pretty much has a get-me-to-first-place attack. Mm-hmm. And part two... Scaled that back significantly, and everyone still has those moves, but there are a lot more. Everything is just balanced. The game is just super polished, super balanced. It's everything I would have wanted in a Mario Kart, and everything I would have wanted within, I guess, with a Mario Kart that's just fresh and different. Right. Like when Mario Kart first announced in 7 that they were going to go with the gliders and the submarine. Um, when the first trailer came out, like, oh, cool, this is gonna be. It sounds like they're gonna do something different, but and like, no, nope. feel exactly the same as the card. All it does is like mildly change the physics of it. Yeah, doesn't do anything. Mario Kart 8 comes out. Oh, the gravity mechanic. It doesn't do anything. It just all it makes is for nifty looking tracks, but that's it. It yeah. doesn't really. I, I I argue it doesn't add much. It's very homogenized the Mario Kart experience. The only thing it adds is like now you could bump people, for really a little mean, boost. Yeah. But Mark Hart Racing Transform, that one, like. You mean Sonic and All Stars Racing Transform? Yeah, you're right. That would be a nice <laughs> game. Um, Sonic and All Stars Racing Transform, that one, like, really, like, went a lot and had, like, tracks that change every single ladder. Like, everything literally transformed. Like, your vehicles actually had, like, great water physics, great flying physics. Mm-hmm. They felt like you were controlling a plane. It was, like, what you'd imagine Jay
0: Kong Racing would be as a next gen game.
1: The drifting mechanics were really, really great and then like every item just felt super bad like every time you lost it actually felt like man I lost because I didn't do well and when you won it felt they were like Sumo Digital just did an amazing job and when I played Mario Kart 8 it just I don't know it just felt so it, it felt so underwhelming after coming from the only thing Mario Kart 8 has on it is just that Nintendo like polish that nintendo just has where everything is just moving always silky smooth mm-hmm. everything just feels like i have that shiny gleam and all stars racing just had like a few rough edges but even the cast like it made me introduce it to so many like sega characters that i, oh, I remember this from so the Dreamcast game that i never played but it made me want to look them up so i could know more about them so about that no i know about
0: yeah. that um so the rumor is it's coming back but it's only gonna be sonic characters again or there's let me rephrase they're Scaling back from the all Sega All Star aspect, whether that means they're bringing in someone else, I don't know. But it currently
1: sounds kind of a shame because that made for really awesome like track designs from like different games, and I mean they introduced me to a bunch of different games too. But I mean, I did love to use Eggman, so that's fine by me.
0: So, so just to frame this a little for people who haven't heard the rumor, um, like the so the Sonic characters only thing comes from a guy who correctly predicted Sonic Forces. but, no, he was, he was correct. I mean, I know he wanted to be a liar, but he was correct. He called Sonic Forces before it was ever a thing. But the the actual existence of a third Sonic Racing game, specifically, has this weird saga behind it over the last couple weeks, where, first, a leak slide from Sumo Digital, the guys that did Sonic and All-Stars Racing Transform, uh, hit the web, and it's like, oh, we're making a third Sega kart racer. Then, uh, Sega's social media guy's like, no, they're not. And then... At German Toy Fair in the time since, Zappies, the guys who made physical toys for Sonic and All-Stars Racing Transformed, said in an interview they're making toys for a third Sonic racer that's coming this year. So, second media guy, social media guy either lied, or it backs the idea that's not Sega racer, it's a Sonic racer. <laughs> so, you know, take it really, but it sounds like, you know, this is very similar to the rumor with Crash uh, Bandicoot Insane Trilogy coming to Switch, where it was leaked. We talked about time about how much sense it makes for it to come out. Then the leak seemed to be kind of retracted or sort of fell to the wayside. And then in Europe, randomly, a supplier is just like, or a licensor over there is just like, oh hey, did you know uh, Crash is coming to Switch? It's like Europe, European, not game companies are where all the game secrets are at, apparently. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, in terms of Sonic, yeah, I like. I, I wish it was been... more than. I hope it's more than just Sonic and his friends. To be honest there hopefully it, was, it was, i mean
1: it just adds that nice fluff and i mean i don't know it has a lot yeah. and, and i don't know a lot of people like that are like fans of sky of arcadia or i like that game shenmue or crazy taxi like, just wanna i just want to love see, that game just want to see like all those characters return and i mean i do too i mean i i want to see yeah. um billy hatcher appear and um
0: the dragon from panzer dragoon <laughs>
1: Edgy dude from freaking Street Mean Radio. Radio. You're gonna say jet 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 Set Radio? radio yeah. Come on, it's
0: my initials. Jet. Okay, so anyone I, who listens to as I, I, I,
1: I, I said it a little earlier, I don't. I didn't have an Xbox. And didn't or Jet
0: Grind Radio. It was on Dreamcast first, by the way. Um,
1: no, I know. Yeah, everyone. Or, always, from Space Channel 5, or whatever.
0: It, it or Ie from Super Monkey Ball. By the way, Monkey Ball characters have the best names. I, Gong Gong, Mimi. It's all just gibberish. But I was gonna say Jsr Meredith uh, It might be Ie. I.E.I.E. is more fun to say, though. Uh But, no, the JSR thing, like whenever I use to post on gaming forums, because anyone that listens knows my, my Twitter handles JSR7, I go by JSR on my, on, my online games, people will be like, oh, Jet Set Radio fan, and be like, nope, never played it. <laughs> it's always that awkward. Oh, so why is your name that? But, anyway, that's my connection to Jet Set Radio. I've never played <laughs> it, though.
1: The fact that I have mine.
0: The fact that I haven't played it. But, no, the um in terms of characters, it doesn't necessarily have to only be Sonic, although it probably will be. What's kind of funny is to... On Friday, they were recording this. Um, I was like, today, but that's not accurate. Um, <laughs> Namdai Banco. Namdai Banco. <laughs> <laughs> Bandai Namco. That's a fun one. Uh, Bandai Namco posted a video on Twitter of Pac Man receiving a phone call from Sonic. And that's right after these rumors pop up about how it's not going to be Sega anymore and how, like, there's yeah, this new racing. They, they're and getting an like, invitation or something? Yeah, it's like he yeah, had an invitation for Sonic. And yeah. was like, oh, my God, it's going to be Pac-Man in Sonic Racing, which is really betraying Mario because Pac-Man's in Mario Kart Arcade. Like, Pac-Man really and gets Smash around Bros. town and Smash Bros. But so is Sonic, so. yeah. Uh, hey. But, yeah, so is it going to be maybe it's, like, uh, Mario Kart but with but – with 3rd party characters like, kind of like how Nintendo to Mario Kart into Nintendo Kart maybe it's going to be the
1: first video game gen- generic video game all star
0: who knows but then they all got ruined because someone found that um, the developers of Sonic Dash the, f- the auto runner on iPhone and Android posted a list of characters in their game and who to call next and then um... that's when Bandai Namco shortly thereafter posted the video so it's probably for Sonic Dash now that opens the door to future collaborations so maybe but i'm not sure how realistic that is but having having any sort of sonic kart racer on switch just seems smart to me like much in the same way that like call of duty helps build out the switch online library sonic racing would do as well and as we were saying before you know people have mario kart 8 if they want another game in the genre here you go people that don't have mario kart 8 Here's a new racing game. I mean, I'm sure Mario Kart 8 will be retrofitted to work with Switch Online, but here's potentially, depending on how Nintendo works their API, potentially a a Switch racing game built from the ground up to support all the online features. So it could be appealing. I
1: am kind of worried that... I mean, I really, really loved... I mean, it's it's not everything transformed, but that's because it had all these awesome mechanics. I'm wondering Mm -hmm. if they're going to scale it back and make it not transformed, or is it going to be just its own thing? Yeah, I don't know what the book would be. Because, I mean... Yeah, I like, don't think
0: they can scale it back because that became like the defining feature of the game, or else it becomes too much like Mario Kart. Like that was what made it st- see, stand yeah, out. Yeah, exactly.
1: You know? Yeah. So I don't know. S- yeah, it, I mean, it talks, I I, uh, I hope it just goes further with transformed, or just makes it a proper sequel. But
0: I'm just thrilled that we don't have that really awkward name of Sonic and All Stars. Like if they're killing the All Stars, that sucks. That we don't get our II and
1: everything, or Sonic every series, Racing, just a but, proper sequel to Sonic Racing where they're all running on foot. <laughs> they're all on in the, the, the CD... I mean, yeah, Sega, a, Sega CD. Yeah, But, you know, fun game. that actually
0: isn't and a horrible torres, idea.
1: Notoriously terrible, but all of a sudden I managed to enjoy it and beat it. Yeah, it is notoriously
0: terrible. Well, well, when you're a kid, games are terrible or somehow still really fun. Case in point, I'm well, a kid, a teen. Well, Ridge Racer I mean, DS, I, I mean, still love it.
1: Too. I mean, we didn't know the controls sucked. We thought right. it was made intentionally difficult right. to play for the, for the challenge. Which I, it is a challenge,
0: um, but no. I was gonna say your idea, like a Sonic R or Sonic Racing, Sonic R. I think is what it's actually called. Oh yeah, Sonic R, Sonic R sequel would actually kind of interesting because do you remember when Day Kong Racing was gonna get a sequel? Oh that man, was bring Donkey back all Kong those Racing? super
1: cheesy songs. Can you feel the sunshine? Is that a real thing?
0: Yes, you never heard these. Not, I didn't know they're from Sonic R. I didn't yeah. know Sonic R had lyrics in the music.
1: All, yeah, all their tracks had like can. You oh, because they the were sunshine, showing off the CD da, 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 techni- da, da. technology. That
0: makes sense. Yeah.
1: Yeah, living in the city. Yeah.
0: We should just turn the podcast into karaoke hour for you to sing Sonic songs, that'd be great. Could we do that sometime? Look up the soundtrack. It's it's pretty interesting. Or just keep singing it. Either either no, or. Fine. But no, I was gonna say, um do you remember when Donkey Kong Racing became Donkey Kong? Like they were gonna make the sequel on GameCube with Donkey Kong Racing and they got rid of cars and they had people riding animals and being on foot and stuff. I feel like they could do that with with Sonic Racing if they were to come up with a new gimmick instead of Transform. Like that's how you do it. You yeah. go back to the Sonic R well. But what whatever form it takes. It Sonic just becomes a
1: referee because I mean why wouldn't you pick Sonic?
0: Yeah. <laughs> that's true. That's the weird thing with Sonic R is like how the others run so fast. Only Sonic runs fast by definition of the like war. Yeah. of in the world building that is the Sonic yeah, Lore. he was
1: in a car. Everyone else ran. Like why
0: not how was Knuckles so fast? How was Tails able that's to change little I, tails That's that also
1: fast. why I liked um Sonic and Sonic Racing Transformer, Sonic Racing All-Stars just because... it put me in a car. Yeah, they were all forced to be in the car. Like, alright, yeah. who's the best driver? That's right. literally
0: it. Right. I mean, these are the yeah. existential questions about yeah. the Sega Universe that keep people up at night. It's true. <laughs> Banjo-Kazooie
1: uh, was in the Xbox One. That that's right. The ugly-looking right. Bandra kazooie is
0: also now available on Switch as a Minecraft skin. Yeah, But nonetheless, he's back home, finally. But yeah, whichever, whatever form um, Sonic takes, we might actually learn about next month. Sega's promising that uh, they're gonna have some Wait, sort of soccer. Did every South version of the game have so. their own
1: character? or Was it only Xbox?
0: They all did, but I don't know what Nintendo had. Nothing. Oh, Danica Patrick, Danica, <laughs> the, the Patrick. NASCAR racer. Rift. I don't know if she was only on the Nintendo one, but they remember they did the DLC where it's like a human NASCAR driver, the woman.
1: No, oh, yeah, I bought yeah. the the Hot Toy. The, the maybe hot toy, the Hot Wheels version. Of maybe her for crazy or, thought.
0: A what if it becomes not. Sonic and All-Stars Racing Transformed, but just Sonic and Danica Racing Transformed 2.
1: Is she even still relevant? She's
0: retiring in the next year, so she's relevant for more year. So if they get it, if they announce it at South by Southwest, like is rumor, because they are going to announce a Sonic thing next month. If they announce this there, and they get the game out this holiday, Danica Patrick's still relevant. Barely. So, well, Sega, so you got your work cut out for you. But, um, but yeah, this, this one, to be clear, this is much less of a real thing than Call of Duty. It's like, it could happen. I think it's going to happen. The rumors seem solid. But, like, Call of Duty, Activision, literally on the financial calls. Like, we're making one this year. And then it's just, yeah, it's
1: coming to Switch. I don't Is question the that. Just because we were talking about Danica Patrick retiring. Yeah. Um, So, did Tony Hawk skate or whatever that game was on pro the board? Pro skater?
0: Tony Hawk skate? Dude, Tony Hawk pro skater. One, two, three, no, four, the, five, the, and the, six. No, the last
1: <laughs> one that came out. The one where oh. you're riding on that board.
0: Oh, what? You're riding on board in all of them. There's no, it's not
1: like a physical board. Oh. oh. Like, literally the last skate one. Skate it
0: or whatever. It's yeah. not skate it. Was it skate it? I don't know That's why I said Like Tony, Tony Hawk Hawk Skate sk- Grind? Was they called Grind? No Grind was a different one Like not literally Like literally Tony the last Hawk one That ever came skate. out Skate See what happens I'm just gonna get pictures Of Tony Hawk Skating I think <laughs> uh, Tony Hawk Skate's First Downward Spiral Loop Well that's not it Skate Game Board <laughs> I feel like you uh Ride Ride. Right. Tony Hawk Ride. So. Yes, that was from the same era as Gu- Gu- Guitar Hero and it crashed and burned just as quickly no, as No, yeah, so Hero. like,
1: did that essentially just kill off sk- skateboarding in general as a... Like it's a franchise in I think to some
0: extent it might have. I mean, every I feel like a lot of these subgenres, like a bear term, are very cyclical. Like they come and go. You know, there's a period where 3D platforms were frowned upon, well, like BMX and now they're back. Games? Oh well, BMX games haven't been a thing, in who knows? So long. <laughs> but the whole the the whole like extreme sports thing, like you know, skateboarding games, BMX games, surfing games, that was like a very early to mid 2000s thing. Like they were trendy then. Like extreme was in at that point. Less so now, so there's no games to really back it because the sales went down. That's basically all it is. I mean, everything comes and goes. I'm sure, just like like I was starting to say, just like the 3D platforming revivals happening now. I'm sure in five or six years, be like, remember the skateboarding games. And it'll be like you'll be kickstarting like expert Tony, like. Tammy Bird's expert skateboarder. He might still be involved. He still, he's still actually buddies with uh, Activision and still works with them and goes to their events and stuff. So Even after the whole ride incident? The- <laughs> I mean, that wasn't his fault. <laughs> don't blame Tony. Don't blame Tony for Activision flying too s- close to the sun there.
1: <laughs> we did not have a QA department for that game. Mm. I
0: don't think the game was actually that bad. I think it worked. I think the issue was they came out with it at the tail end of the plastic accessory trend. Because, you know, that was all the Wii mode accessories. That was Guitar Hero. That was Rock Band. That was people opening their closet and just having a cascading wall with plastic hit them. That's That killed it. It's sort of like what happened with Toys to Life, where you have so many it's like, well, I don't need more. So they all died. Now Nintendo's trying to recreate it with cardboard, so we'll see. Maybe we'll get Tony Hawk's cardboard skater. Who knows?
1: <laughs> cardboard skater. Yeah, you
0: just take an unfolded box and stand on it and wear an Apple Watch for the gyro-sensing, and you're done. Yeah, so I know. I'm sure
1: someone about. will make that a Nintendo Labo.
0: Probably. There is actually a skateboard Labo that was shown in a uh, Famitsu in Japan. It's one to like, build it yourself. Also a gas mask. I'm not kidding. <laughs> so, yeah. So we'll see what happens at Toy Hawk. But more broadly speaking, beyond just rumors, there has been some interesting third-party activity as of late. Like... Some of it's the typical bragging about success on Switch that you know indicates more support is coming. I mean, Konami again still is saying Super Bomberman R is selling really well. Marvelous said it's happy with its releases on I know, Switch. I know, like shut up already, Techno right? Tecmo Koei said it's just like, dude, Konami, we get it. You're having a success. No, it's it's nice to see that it's selling even almost a year later. Like that's that's good. Yeah. As was Marvelous's games, as was Tecmo Koei's games. Take Two says they are quote unquote impressed with Switch uh, Sega has been saying that they're strong sales of Sonic Forces and Puyo Puyo Tetris Ubisoft has been humble bragging about Mario and Rabbids making the kind of silly comment that they're the platform's number one third party which of course you are Ubisoft your game has the platform star in it Mario it doesn't really count um, but nonetheless it's true and then they said they're bringing more games over Switch and then ironically right after that uh, Amazon Mexico leaked that we might be getting a port of South Park the Fractured But Whole. so that was there and gone in a minute, but it was there. I think we're going to get it. Um, and while not necessarily a good thing, there's also third-party bad news that's been kind of just turning out. Namely, this one's for you. Blizzard confirmed they are not bringing Hearthstone to Switch. So, But they have no plans. They have no plans. So as of now, they're not bringing Hearthstone to Switch. But so it's fine. It's
1: on, like, it's on every other platform well, Yeah. Ever, so. But it'd
0: be so good on Switch. Like, just, I guess it's not really uh, neat. I don't know. I mean, I, it's not like you bust out your Switch on a bus just to play Hearthstone.
1: Honestly, like, I only really play Hearthstone when I'm... Well, I guess recently I had to only play it at home because it became too much of a problem outside of home, but it's best played when you're on the go. And I feel like like one step away from
0: like, hearthstone, alcoholism or something. (laughs) It
1: became a problem at home. I could only play, or it became
0: a problem outside the home. I had to do it in the confines of my house where I couldn't harm anyone else. But no, I get what you mean.
1: And also, um, you know, like, Unless you're going to use a touchscreen, playing a card game like that is not. Oh, it would really... definitely be handheld first, yeah. Yeah, the, the interface is just definitely meant for for dragging yeah. things around, and using an analog for that feels like it would be very clunky. And it's, I mean, I'm sure. I agree. I, totally I mean, agree. they'll they'll figure out a way to do it, but.
0: What if they use uh, the I, the gyro of the Joy-Con, kind of like World of Goo does, to simulate a pointer?
1: Well, Think about it. Possibly. Think about it. I but mean, no, they're, um... they're, they're definitely better off focusing on maybe something new or something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: no, I, I think it, it was a long shot for a while, but you know, fans it's, have wanted. We've talked about it on the show. Especially so the fact for that they confirmed it's not
1: happening. Especially for a game that literally won't work unless you have an online connection. Even if you're not playing against anyone, you could literally just want to be building a new deck, and you'll need an online connection because right. it's always saving your progress to the cloud. So if right. I finish building a deck on my iPhone, I'll go to my tablet and go to the computer, which means that I also have to do that on the Switch. Yeah, unless they build its own ecosystem which... no that would be horrible I know yeah so, so I...
0: I guess it makes sense but yeah and in all that cascade of good news there was that but while, well well, I think I just almost cut you off were you about to say something else no oh sorry um, I was just saying in the midst of all that all these big name publishers with all their news you sometimes forget that there are smaller publishers with multiple switch games under their belt that already uh, make notable moves and have games on the system and these publishers, you think, you know, I just said they're smart, and you think they're smart, and then you see what they do, and you're like, oh, wow, these guys are actually huge. How did I not notice this? I'm specifically referring to THQ Nordic, who has steadily been releasing interesting titles for Switch for, I don't, I don't know, half of the Switch's life now. Like, they just kind of been flying under the radar of us on the show, and probably a fair number of people. You know, you got, like, the Shump Shooter, uh, Simora EX, real-time management games like the poli- uh, This is the Police One and 2. You got Battle Chasers Night War, which we saw in a Nintendo Direct. Well, I was saying like April or something last year, and then just vanished from the face of the earth. But it's still coming. And more recently, they announced that they are bringing over remasters of The Blob One, and then it got leaked that they're also bringing over a remaster of The Blob Two. So they're kind yeah. of they're making moves. These THQ Nordic guys. We just kind of ignore them. But The Blob. Did you ever play The Blob on Wii? I don't no, remember. No, I didn't. Or Neither did second- I.
1: Neither did I. I Although it's curious, I saw curious. it on Nintendo Power, and just never really played it.
0: It's, it's funny, because if you look back at it now, or you know, if you look at it on Switch now, it is very much, when it comes to Switch, it's very much the precursor to Splatoon. To Splatoon. Like, it's like... Paint the world. Yeah, so Mario Sunshine, in many ways, is the precursor to Splatoon in terms of how the shooting works. Like, the physics of the paint is basically Mario's flood, right? And then Splatoon, or... or the blob basically was run with the paint the world idea that Splatoon used, but do it in the style of Mario Sunshine. It's like kind of that like in-between step. It's the stepping stone that Nintendo didn't use because they didn't make the game, but it's literally the stepping stone between them. It's apparently a very good little platformer in its own right. And now it's coming to Switch, so that's kind of cool. But um, I'm looking forward to hearing your impressions. I, I may pick it up. We'll see. It depends on things. Namely, when it comes out, what else is out around it, the price. No, uh, no, I'm sure you'll pick it up. Maybe. It's 100%. This sounds like a challenge for some reason. <laughs> oh, it? you're you're going to buy it and you're going to like it. it. I don't know if you'll
1: like it, but it's, it's 100% certain you're going to get it. <laughs> all right. So I guess I'm getting the blob. Well, I guess I've decided. I'm getting the blob. You <laughs> heard you. it here first. There you go. See, I told you. 100%. But, all right. It's because I feel like you're threatening fun. me.
0: <laughs> I feel like my life is at stake if I don't. But anyway, the the thing is, like the blob, whatever. Basically, the guys at HQ Nordic have very slowly but steadily kind of risen up the publisher food chain. Like, they started pre-Switch as a company called Nordic Games, and then THQ went bankrupt, and then they bought the rights to a bunch of names and IPs, or to the THQ name and a bunch of IPs, so, you know, like The Blob, Darksiders, uh, and they started to kind of expand from there. The thinking at the time, and the reason I'm going into this is it's just, you don't see game publishers doing this, but the thinking at the time for them was if they re-release quality titles, on new platforms like The Blob, Dark Sires, all that. Or in the case of Dark Sires 3, if they just finish up a game that's practically done and release it, they can slowly but steadily increase their revenue stream. And then when they do that, they can start getting fancier with their ports. And if they do that enough, they can actually start developing their own original games. And if they sell enough of those and still do the re releases and still do the ports and all that, suddenly they're buying freaking Deep Silver and Koch Mia for $150 million. And that's what Nordic just did a couple days ago. Like, they went from being this tiny guy that's, like, they bought Darkstalkers, that's weird, to, like, probably one of the bigger third-party publishers. Just, like, Koch Mia and uh, Deep Silver are big. Like, if you don't recognize the Deep Silver name, you know their games. Dead Island, Saints Row, Metro, Agents of Mayhem, Homefront. Like, a lot of these very high-budget releases are Deep Silver games. It's essentially the other half of THQ from when, so when THQ went bankrupt, they sort of split their IPs. Some went to Nordic. Some went to, um, Deep Silver. Some went kind of floated in the ether and slowly got eaten up by the two halves. And now, like a weird Voltron, THQ has sort of come back together into this new THQ. It's, it's very strange.
1: <laughs> very beautiful. It, 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 it brings a tear my eye. No, but it's
0: like, it's just kind of. Weird, like you don't usually hear that happen.
1: Life finds a way.
0: Life finds a way, and it's all thanks to some Scandinavian private equity firm or something that's footing the bill on all this, or something like that. Like it's—they're now a Scandinavian company that just took the name, really. But what it means for us as Nintendo fans, and why I bring it up here, is that THQ Nordic has always been a big supporter of Nintendo platforms. I mean, when everyone else ditched Wii U, when Wii U was Nintendo games only, here came THQ Nordic, like no, 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 no. We're bringing you Darkstalkers too. It'll be eShop only, but we said we we're gonna bring you Darkstalkers too, and we're gonna bring you Dark Stalkers too. And they brought us Darkstalkers too. Now, to be fair, they also promised us Metro uh, Metro Last Light or one of the Metro games, which they canceled. But they did bring us Stalkers 2 and promised. And again, they've now have like six or seven games on
1: Switch. So there was Dark Darkstalkers three announced?
0: There was a Dark Stalkers three on next gen systems.
1: No, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking in general. Mm-hmm. Like... There was.
0: and and again Nordic bought it when it was basically done and then they finished it up and just sent it out so it's like a really cheap investment not a very high profile release for them but uh, this philosophy of just like they constantly re-release games on new platforms and everything bodes well for Switch because if they now own Deep Silver they now own Deep Silver properties if they now own Deep Silver properties and their strategy is to re-release games maybe Switch is going to get a Saints Row maybe it's going to get a Dead Island maybe it's going to get a Metro all this is suddenly possible and a portable Saints Row would not only prove to be probably quite popular on Switch, if I had to guess, but it almost would then double as a case study for Take-Two to then see how well GTA could do on Switch. So, if THQ could open the door, and much like we were talking about with, you know, Mario Kart people will buy Sonic, Doom people might buy Call of Duty, Saints Row people might buy GTA, or vice versa. So, like, this opens doors. This opens potential. And for for, um switch folk just beyond that there's also the fact that the m like our mindset as a collective is we'll take ports if it makes them portable for the first time so like all these games that were you know these big console experiences now being portable tht north to do quite well with that hypothetically and give a lot of cool games to switch owners so it's kind of win-win like it's a weird buyout from this little company that's something this big company and no one really noticed they got big and they the like the Terminator reforming or something, but, or like rising out of the goo or whatever. But nonetheless, now that it's here, it's, it's a cool opportunity. So I don't know. Well, we'll see what happens. I mean, THQ Nordic, like again, it's not actually THQ. I just bought the name, but like what a comeback for the brand of THQ. I mean, the, the stock of THQ Nordic went up 42% on the day of the buyout of Koch, which is huge. So it, it's basically THQ is basically like the second lease on life that Atari wished it had. Like, in one steady climb, THQ went from nothing to not just something, but something that can buy other somethings, which is kind of crazy. Uh, meanwhile, since I made the Atari comparison, Atari's just kind of flailing around like one of those weird inflatable guys you see I use car lot, where they just don't know what they're doing. They're up one day, they're down the next. Um, they do, to be fair, Atari does seem to slowly be gaining some traction, but, like, they, they're all over the place. I mean, they... They recovered decently at one point. I don't know if you remember that publisher, Infogrames, or Grams, or however you want to say it, back in like the PS2, GameCube, oh, yeah. Xbox game. They rebranded it as Atari, and then they actually released good games, somewhat. Like, I think I think Godzilla Destroy All Monsters Melee on GameCube. That was an awesome game. I think that I was under the Atari game. brand at that
1: point. It was. Was it? Yeah. You that's start, a good game. That was a really when, good When you game. boot the game up, you see the Atari logo spinning, and then it turns out it's a billboard, and then Godzilla uh, comes out.
0: Yeah, but yeah, so like they, Atari for a minute there was actually pretty good, and that's actually a really fun game. It's weird how that game. Excellent game, yeah. It's, it's just weird. Well, yeah, it's weird because I'm just thinking like, it was for some reason GameCube exclusive, which I don't quite understand why, frankly. Godzilla, so the Monster's Melee.
1: Yeah,
0: and it was like, oh, because Smash Bros. Melee, I get it, the synergy. No, but, um, no, it's for some reason GameCube exclusive, and it was actually, like, really well received and did really well. Like, I remember Nintendo Power gushing over it, but I don't really know why yeah, it, it existed at any
1: yeah, shape it, or form. It, it's hard to do a, a Godzilla game where Godzilla doesn't feel super slow, but also giant and powerful in scale, and this game just managed to, to hit that nice middle ground. Like, even the, there was, like, a recent Godzilla game that came out for PS4 that. Wasn't very well received. It had some fighting mechanics, but Godzilla moved way too slow. And yeah, yeah, but yeah. This that, one not that fun.
0: It'd be cool if they made a sequel. I mean, Atari couldn't because they. Well, I guess they could, but who knows if they? I know,
1: throw some Shin Godzilla in there and yeah, you have it sold.
0: Throw it on Switch, or yeah. if GameCube Virtual Console becomes a thing, bring it back. But but regardless, um, after that period where Atari actually did well for a while as Infogrames or Grams, they sort of. Again, fell to the wayside. It kind of faded away. And now now they're back in the last year or so. So, like, unlike THQ, they keep going up and down. But here they are again. Atari's back, but now they're making weird business decisions. Like um, that Atari box thing. Remember that from last year? It was post pre-sale in December. It got delayed. Basically, it's a mid-range PC that has some Atari classic arcade games loaded onto it. And you plug it in like a console. But it's like, why would you want a mid-range PC as your console? Why would you not want, like... Like it plays mid range PC games. Like it plays normal PC games at mid range specs. Like why just get a, not get a Steambox or a real console at that point? I I don't know who that's for. Do Steamboxes do well? They did they... meh. They're a thing, but they're yeah. like a meh thing. But I mean I don't blame like the Steam lean back experience makes more sense to me. Like you run it. Off your powerful PC, and then you just have the a nice. steam lean back, lean back, lean back, oh. like where they, you know, the TV. They make it like mean TV big, optimized. You mean big
1: picture mode? Yeah, Doesn't lean
0: back's matter. just a term the tech industry uses for any sort of taking a computer thing and making it a TV oh. thing. Like YouTube lean back experience is YouTube TV, oh. or well, now YouTube TV is a whole cable service, but it I used to be that. that. Yeah,
1: then why didn't they just call it lean back? I don't know because I think lean back's
0: too. I don't know. You're not necessarily leaning back. You're hunched over, intensely yeah, playing.
1: I guess that's why they named it what they did. Yeah.
0: But, but like, the Atari box is a weird Atari thing, and then Atari just announced they're launching their own cryptocurrencies, two of them, Atari Token and Pong. Why? I I mean, Kodak's doing the same thing. It seems like when a company doesn't know what to do with themselves but wants to keep themselves, like, presentable to investors, like, we're sure, we're on that cryptocurrency train, yep, bit bit chains all day. And, or not bitchains, blockchains, bitchains. Yeah. If they said bitchains, all their investors would bail. But yeah, blockchains all day. But uh, yeah, so they're announcing that. But like I kind of get that. They say the, the cryptocurrency is going to be used for their gambling division. Like they're going to do all their game gambling stuff using their own cryptocurrency. But even then, that's weird. But none of that is on the gaming side. It's actually on the gaming side that is questionable by Atari and why I brought them up. Is Roller Coaster Tycoon. On the one hand, a new one's coming to Switch, which makes sense since it's being built by the team behind the smartphone version, which is already touch-friendly, and Switch obviously has a touchscreen, and it ties into the Switch's nostalgia trend. Like, all that makes sense. But on the other hand, they're crowdsourcing it, but not really crowdsourcing it, but sort of kind of crowdsourcing it, in that you can fund it. They want $10,000. They're doing it on a platform called uh, Start Engine. But you're not actually doing it like a Kickstarter. You're actually investing in it, like really investing in it, meaning you get a percentage of money back should you invest at least $250, and then they hit certain sales goals or whatever. So it's like a real investment, which is interesting. And they stack it with additional perks on top of that, Kickstarter style. So if you give a certain amount, you get a book. If you do this, you get that. But what's odd about it is they don't guarantee your money goes to the game's development itself, they specifically say it might not go to the development of the game. So you're just giving Atari money. And also they said they're gonna make the game whether or not they get the funding. So like at so that what's point, the point at that point, it's just for them. They're experimenting with new why avenues make, why and monetization. Why not just income. make a Patreon? Or even then, like why not point? just it seems like what they're doing is they want you to like be a venture capitalist and invest in them as a company. So why not do like if I want to invest in Atari I would invest in Atari. I would not invest in this, like, roller coaster tycoon game that's already being made for Switch. Like, I'm sure it'll be
1: fun. It's but like it's they just, just like, put out why... a PayPal link and just ask for donations. Yeah,
0: essentially that's what they're doing, except you get a little kickback should it meet sales goals, which is actually really cool. It's some law that passed in the last year or two called, like... It's called, like, the Jobs Act or something, but basically... The idea is like this sort of crowdfunding thing you could actually do one step further and actually have people legitimately invest and have what an investor would normally get, like a venture capitalist would, where you know, you give an x amount, then you get back X amount times whatever or plus whatever later on. Like I think you get back up to hundred twenty five percent of your investment with roller coaster tycoon or something like that. So it's interesting, but it's just like if I wanted to do it invest in Atari, I'd invest in Atari, not in roller coaster tycoon. So I don't know. And I mean it's all moot. They already raised forty seven thousand dollars. This has been brewing for like a month. I just... There's never really a reason to bring it up on the podcast. But now that we're talking about how THQ is doing what Atari current couldn't, I was like, oh, great time to mention it. But it's just it's just so weird. Like, I don't know if I would ever do something like that. I don't even know if I'd kickstart. Like, I backed my number nine. I backed ukulele. One turned out well. One <laughs> turned out not so well. I think people can figure out which is which. But, like, hey, what... You backed something once, didn't you? I backed a lot of stuff. What have you backed? Game-wise.
1: I've backed um, Shantae Half-Genie Hero... I've backed cult country that did not get funded. So, you it
0: unbacked, I guess. Yeah. That's uh, the Renegade uh, Kid, like, Western horror game, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, I guess, technically game, I backed um, the Ninja Turtle board game by ADW.
0: Oh, that's right. And that one actually was really successful, right?
1: Yeah, very successful. Yeah. Very awesome.
0: As was Shantae, to be fair. Yeah. But, so you've had... Seems like what you've actually backed that's put, gone through the final, you know, actually got made, yeah, turned yeah. out well, unlike me, which Currently is I'm at 50, waiting on 50. another
1: thing that I'm that I backed. It's like a an adapter to make iPads essentially cintiq tablets.
0: So, like, would you? Oh, That's cool. Would you? Um, if Atari came to you and let's say they're like, no. "Hey, we're gonna make a new Godzilla," they do own the rights to over two hundred IPs, including I think Godzilla Destroy Monster Melee. If, if they say, Hey, we're gonna make Godzilla Monster Melee two, it's an investment. We might not use your money for the game, but you you'll get money back if the game comes out and does well. And we're gonna make it regardless. You wouldn't do it, I assume. No. It's just so no, weird. Like not, why no. does this exist? Definitely not. Though. It's so weird. Like, I mean, roller coaster tycoon's probably gonna be really fun. It the developers made roller coaster tycoon touch on smartphones has a four point four out of five on the app store. I looked it up earlier today, just out of curiosity. It's apparently a very good adaptation of the game. On Switch, I imagine it'd be even better because you have more screen real estate. But like, why, why, why if it's being made, or are they now asking for money? It just doesn't make sense. <laughs> so that's the, 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 two ends of the comeback spectrum. You got THQ doing great and you got Atari doing who knows what. And I'm, to Atari's credit, whatever they're doing is working. They're profitable. The company's profitable for the first time in years. So I'm not quite, maybe because they're just stealing people's money. I don't know. But anyway. Anyway, we've gotten sidetracked with all this third-party stuff. Let's bring it back to Nintendo with Labo. Oh, Labo, Labo, Labo. they uh, I feel like every time we go to record one of these episodes, there's some crazy new thing we learn that Labo can do. Like, this episode, Nintendo uploaded some videos earlier in the week, and they show off a surprising amount of depth in some of the Labo kits. I mean, most of the depth comes courtesy of little cardboard accessories that we didn't even know came with these Toy-Con, but, like, it's it's pretty impressive. It's more true of the variety kit than the robot kit, I'd say. And it's especially true of the uh, Toy Con piano within the variety kit, which remains, contrary to what Nintendo says about the robot, in my mind, the piano is the most elaborate Toy Con of them all. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah like the amount of adjustments you can make is just nuts. I know,
1: creating a waveform. And- By
0: literally just cutting out paper in a wave. Yeah. It's crazy. Or like, it, it, even little clever things like if you want to change how the notes sound from, like, it could be obviously a piano or a, a cat's meow, or singing as a choir, or grandpa noises. I don't know what that is, but it's a thing, and there's little grandpas that pop out. You just, like, put a cardboard knob into the... One or three different cardboard knobs into the piano and kind of twist in it, it, like, activates. Like, that tactile thing's kind of neat. Or if you want to go, like, more technical, there's, like, a whole studio mode where you can change things like reverb and octave. And, yeah, it's it, you can record your own music. You can take a cardboard. They're calling it a... Um, it's basically, I think they call it a rhythm punch card. You basically have a piece of cardboard with a series, of, it looks like a ballot where you like punch out the things and then the hanging chads stay behind and cost an election in 2000. It's like one of those. Um, and you just punch out the rhythm for the backbeat, you plop it in the game starts making a backbeat, and then you play on top of it, and you can have different int- like pitches and octaves and everything all stacked. It can literally compose an entire song. Yeah, you can also
1: you could conduct it too. It's
0: very Wii Music. It's literally what Wii Music should be. Like the the conducting, it's straight up the baton waving you did with the Wii Remote, except now it's a Joy-Con with a little piece of cardboard on it. And the other thing that's really neat that I don't even like this one's just nuts. You can put an HD you could, HD rumble. You could put a Joy-Con on anything. And then play it using the keyboard, and it will rumble appropriately on the controller to change the pitching of what it's shaking. So, like, I could have it on this table and, you know, be, like, buzzing at different pitches and actually it would turn this table into an instrument. Or not necessarily buzzing at different pitches, but different yeah, frequencies taking, to
1: change the pitch. It's kind of taking what people have already done with the Find My Remote Vibrations just a step further. Yeah. Like in case you haven't seen them, they're just people have like a bunch of Joy Cons and they'll put them on different hollow things, like a box, a plastic, another plastic box. They're just different things. Yeah. And using the Find My, My Joy Con Joy-Con feature, God. you just tap it and it's like a little piano. It's
0: like Nintendo saw those and was like, you know, we could just do that for you.
1: <laughs> or they already had it and they're like, oh man, just wait until yeah. we show them this thing. Yeah,
0: but it, it's crazy. Like on its own, it's almost starting to feel like the piano itself. Almost, maybe worth the $70. Like granted, kids pianos, like you can get a little electric piano for a kid for like 20, 30 bucks, but that's just a piano with Labo. You get to build the piano. You get the gameplay of the, whatever other things you want to do with the gameplay. You get the creation kit. You have the other five games in their gameplay. Like it's, or four games, five games, five games. Five. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, there's just, it's all, like I. Every time they show more of Lab, I'm like, oh, I'm getting close to wanting to buy this, but I really don't want to buy it. But like, that's cool. Like speaking of the other games, um, they some are more impressive than others. They range from basically impressive to exactly what you expect. I think the RC car, the house, and the fishing um, are pretty much what we all thought they would be. Like, fishing maybe is a little surprising because I thought it would be kind of arcadey, but it actually looks to be pretty much a simulation, yeah. which is interesting. I was surprised like you could depths.
1: make your own fish, too. And you can
0: make your own fish. They didn't explain how, but I'm guessing you cut out a piece of paper and scan it with the IR camera.
1: Yeah.
0: There we go. But, like, that's kind of neat. Um, but the motorbike game, one of the more interesting of these non-pianos yeah, that come that's, in the variety Yeah, pretty kit. cool. Yeah, like, the custom track stuff you can do is really interesting. You can, with the IR camera, you hold your hand out in front of it, and it will mimic the shape of your hand. So I imagine every single track that anyone over 10 is going to make first thing is going to be flipping off the camera, but you can do that. Um, and then, and I hope no one thinks of other things they can do with other body parts. If they, please, Nintendo, have some sort of sensor built in, please. But um, that's one way to do it. Or you can make a little cardboard mini bike, or not make a cardboard mini bike, and just draw in the air with the Joy-Con and form a track by basically like air, literally airbrushing, just making air motions and then it'll make the shape of the track and you can like, unlike with the hand one you can actually stack things on top of one another so you can have a track with some depth or some stories to it just by kind of drawing it in the air which is interesting and then both of these you then get to determine the terrain where the dash items would be put you know the the steepness of things it's it's all very impressive the problem is the game itself does not look particularly fun it looks very slow did you get that impression like i imagine it's because I imagine it must be because uh motion controls. Like they want you need to be able to steer it, steer the no, whole contraption seems but okay for what it, it looks was slow. Like it looked slow. Even when you were dashing, getting a dash item, it looked slow.
1: Yeah, I thought it looked fine.
0: I mean, maybe that's yeah, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm used to like games where you don't have to steer a giant piece of cardboard. And maybe when steering a giant piece of cardboard it feels right. But yeah, it I don't know, it it wasn't doing it for me, I'll put it that way. Like like the piano was. Like that piano, man. Like, I, if I like mu- making music at any level in my life right now, I would be all over this piano thing. Like, I guarantee there's going to be little communities of fans popping up there, making it, you know, different songs and sharing songs and probably, like, forums and whatnot around song sharing, you know. Like, when we see people do stuff with Mario Paint or Game Boy Camera, but obviously on a whole nother level because it's brand new. There'll be SoundCloud accounts dedicated to piano, to- ToyCon music probably, and, yeah. Like, I used to love as a kid—I don't know if you ever played SimTunes— on no. PC, it's basically like, at one point, Maxis, the SimCity people, were like, what if we made everything Sim? So they had Sim Ants, they had Sim Tune, they had Sim Art, they had Sim, like anything you could think of, they made. And what Sim Tunes was, was basically the music creation tool of Mario Paint, but like really elaborate and fleshed out. And you had these little bugs representing each instrument, you kind of run around, and depending on where they move, they play different pitches. It was really cool. I loved it as a kid, and this just seems right up that alley like if if i cared about creating music i would totally have a piano or not even like seriously music. if i just was like oh this would be fun if i was that sort of mindset of creativity i would be all over this thing i'm guessing you are not any more convinced than you were before
1: i think it's very intriguing and it definitely looks more interesting than before but still not not enough enough to buy yeah still but i feel like i'm not any closer to wanting to buy it i definitely it makes me want to Try it out more, but doesn't make me want yeah. to buy it more.
0: So basically, what we're saying is, someone needs to send us one. Anyone out there listening? If they want to send, maybe us maybe Nintendo one. will. Maybe I might be able. <laughs> uh, I was like, I might be able to. I don't know who I would talk to though, but I'll send a cold email to like Nintendo <laughs> like customer support. like, hey, can you just like give us one, and <laughs> we'll see what happens. But um, what's kind of funny, though, is that for all the surprises that the the variety kit um, includes, I feel like the robot kit is pretty much exactly what I thought it would be. Like, I watched the separate video about the robot kit, and I mean, it's cool. There's challenges you complete to learn new moves you can perform, I guess. And, like, some of it had kind of a Tron vector art style, which I appreciate. Very expensive two-player mode. Yeah, a very expensive two-player mode. Um, You need two kits. Uh, but like things like having people need to insert and two switches, okay. and two switches. But yeah, like having people need to insert cardboard knobs to tweak individual parts of the robot. Like in other words, to change the color and shape by like twisting. Like that's kind of neat because it's like a very tactile. Like it really feels like you're working on your robot, even though it's all like a digital thing. Like I, I appreciate that. I even kind of like frauds dumbness the the mode where you throw the switch in the back of the robot like the backpack and then you just walk around and move and it will just project the sounds of what you're doing kind of so like, if you have like a six-year-old with a crazy imagination i imagine that'd be awesome for them but i don't know nothing here really screams like potentially a must-have in the way that some aspects of the variety can, can to me like it's I, I mean for older gamers primarily because the variety kit appropriately enough has a lot of variety, but the robot kit is um, very much just you learn moves for your robot and then you execute them and you just go level level doing it. Like this is very clearly Project Giant Robot just, oh, just getting, yeah. Yeah. Which which is, you know, it's ironic that this is the one that's not as interesting because in the investor QA, um they were saying that's actually the robot kit that we get the whole labo everything. Like it's because the Project Giant Robot evolving into this robot kit that we got the piano and the motorbike and all the interesting stuff and uh it was takahashi who was saying this and he said that when they were toying with prototypes for the robot they began to realize that the trial and error of prototyping was actually a lot of fun in and of itself and thus there was labo hmm. so if it wasn't for the robot that i don't care that i don't care about it sounds like you aren't particularly fond of either we'd have none of this so <laughs> thank you robot for existing i guess um Takahashi also, by the way, confirmed the theory that the Joy-Con was designed for Labo. Or, well, he said it was designed for accessories. Basically, he was saying that they realized that once they could cram so many sensors into such a tiny controller, they should go all in on it and spec it out to be able to do all sorts of accessory hookups. Obviously, Labo was the one at the top of the list here, but there could be others. I mean, Kimishima has said previously... They have other things come, other unique uses of the Joy-Con coming, so whether that's accessories or gameplay, who knows, but yeah, Joy-Con was specifically made with this stuff in mind, which mm. is interesting to get confirmation on, so, especially because I went on that whole tear a couple episodes ago my conspiracy theory about Joy-Con's called Joy-Con because Toy-Con was a clever name and it needed a companion name and yada yada yada, so kind of backs that, but um, that same Q&A also shine some light on our final topic, which is Nintendo's or before we talk about what we're playing, which is Nintendo's IP expansion plans, uh, namely in this case in regards to the Mario movie they're making with Illumination. So apparently, talks have been going on for this movie for over two years, which would probably explain that Sony Animation leak from a couple years ago, where Sony was pitching Nintendo for a Mario movie. They must have gotten word that you know Nintendo's in the market, and they reached out. And obviously, that fell through. But uh, more of the point, I thought was interesting in the Q and A. Is Miyamoto said they chose Illumination specifically because the head of the company is, and I quote, "cost conscious and time conscious."
1: Mm, sounds like they picked them for the wrong reasons. Yeah, that
0: doesn't sound like the first priorities you want when you make a good movie
1: <laughs> at all. Because they tell great stories that connect with it. Like,
0: exactly. Like obviously, saying I mean, yeah. budget's
1: important, but I, yeah, I, you know, give them uh, like yeah, like Illumination can sure like make a movie on a budget and create a huge profit while still making the like the quality look comparable to something like Pixar that's always like in the millions. Yeah. But it just It yeah. seems
0: like Nemo of Highlight like you said storytelling or animation skill or yeah. like their existing library I mean, it, of movies or that, anything it, else. I mean
1: isn't that his <laughs> mode of operation basically like it oh is. let's make something very fun first and wrap around the details later. I know it's and, really and, weird. And if anything he was like, like oh no like I want my game to do this so go ahead and build me a controller just for this game I don't care what you do with I, the other it games. It makes
0: no sense and I
1: it's guess it's very w- backwards but you yeah. could you could
0: argue, you could argue, I'm not saying I do, but you could argue that he said this specifically because he's talking to investors in a financial meeting. So it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah we're working with this partner, but you know, it's, 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 it's going to be good for us. It's not going to You know what, that is what money.
1: all they would care about. I mean, just look at the Emoji movie. It was probably very cost effective to do, it was, and it was very profitable. So. Here's the problem.
0: Here's the flaw with that logic that I now have said I don't actually believe. Um, Nintendo does not make similar comments about games. They don't, you know, they talked about Labo a bunch in this briefing we talked about significantly less just now but they, a good chunk of it and they didn't say oh it costs us x dollars over y years to develop they instead talked about how it would expand the audience how it would expand across age ranges how it can loop in mothers to know what switches and have them engage with it too these are all by the way real talking points they made in the q a that mothers will be inspired to check out the switch because of labo which is true because they're gonna make it with their kids they're not wrong uh like for labo nintendo basically explained how like it has the potential to transform Switch from this gamer-first machine to an everybody machine. Like, the, they didn't make this analogy, but what I think of when I hear that is like, oh, they're basically saying Labo's Nintendo Dogs or the Brain Age that DS had. Like, for, you know, DS turned a corner with Nintendo's and Brain Age, Labo can be that corner where it goes from gamer machine to everybody machine. I, I get it. But, for Mario... They didn't talk about how the medium allows for new storytelling or the IP expansion potential or how it will bring in a new audience that will buy the games. They instead said they can make it cheap and fast, which just seems weird. Like, I, I don't... I don't know. It's weird. It is weird. Yeah. I mean, I, we're probably overanalyzing this a bit, in all honesty, but that's kind of what a podcast is for, so of course we're going to cherry-pick a specific four words that Miyamoto said and just rip it to shreds like we just did. But in all seriousness, like it's weird <laughs> i mean the the hope is that it doesn't really mean much and you know to me Mo's credit like you can still you know the, he said they don't have a production schedule yet so it's not moving that fast they've been talking for two years and they don't have a production schedule yet so cheap and fast could still be plenty of time and still result in a good movie compared to whatever else someone else was offering it's just i don't know if you want to lead with that one that's all and, and in the meantime, like, we don't need the Mario movie that quickly. Because, like, in the meantime, Nintendo does have other ways to continue pushing their IPs. I mean, just the other day, Nestle said that they're bringing over Mario Wonderball candy to America. So I think the movie can wait. I no, think we'll be the coin fine. Looks pretty cool. The yeah. Bowser coin looks pretty cool. Actually, a lot of the coins I look pretty cool. There's 18 of them to collect. But in all seriousness, for real, um, they have the theme park coming up. They have merchandise collaborations. Apparently, they're now using the 2DS as an IP-pushing thing, which is interesting. Like, this one's a bit more subtle, but I noticed that Nintendo has started to take the philosophy of using mobile games to sell games on dedicated game systems and are now applying it to other things. Like, if you look at the 3DS and 2DS, there's a new 2DS XL commercial series out to promote the Nintendo Select line. And what's interesting is that they focus strictly on the characters. The ads are titled join mario join link join pikachu and after a brief sizzle reel of gameplay all of them cut to a 3d render of each respective character and then list the character as a feature of the game so it's like you know go on a pokemon adventure catch all new experiences and join pikachu or like you know you're you're saving bowser and blah, blah 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 and mario's there it's like a weird it, they've never quite done that like, obviously, if it's Mario 3D Land, Mario is there, but they're making Mario's role a feature of the game, and if you combine that with Kamech and Kimishima, that 3DS is now appealing to younger children, um, you know, it's like their first decade game system, it's kind of like the 3DS is on an IP stepping stone to the Switch now. Like... You know, the logic would go, oh, so you like Link? Well, check out these two Zelda games on 3DS. It's cheap. Your parents can get it for you right now. Oh, cool. You like those? You ready to upgrade to the big, the big boy experience? Get Breath of the Wild on your Switch and get a Switch. Like that seems like the kind of positioning they're giving the 3DS now, which I don't think they've ever really done with their past console handheld pairings. Like the two prong approach, like obviously there's been times where they had a game like metroid on game boy and gamecube at the same time like metroid prime metroid fusion literally came out the same day but it wasn't metroid fusion leads you by metroid prime because metroid prime's the big boy version of metroid fusion it was this idea of like cool you know metroid here's two great Metroid experiences on each of your systems you should own both systems to get both experiences like they were equal funny it wasn't like the mature metroid came out of the handheld Metroid. you know what i mean like you don't grow up into it. So it's it's interesting that now it's kind of like this intentional funnel where it's like the mobile or the IP merchandise collabs or the theme park or the movies will feed you to the 3DS which will then feed you to the Switch. But it, it makes sense I guess. And, and like in the Q&A Kimishima, we sort of touched on this way earlier, but Kimishima admitted that Nintendo's in uncharted territory as you put it with the 3DS. Like it's still selling well, but they don't really know what to do with it at this point, which... To me, suggests they're planning to retire it this year, as I always thought, but now that they're seeing it can successfully pivot into an IP exposure machine, they can really milk those evergreen tiles just a little bit harder and potentially have the system last longer. And, like, I think it will work for a while, to be fair. Like, I could see, I mean, to your point, they could do one last thing with Diamond and Pearl. They will They will. But uh, even, you know, like for this year, I think they can ride that out. But the problem is, as Switch expands to younger audiences, which they're now trying to target with Labo, and as the system continues to grow in popularity, kids are going to want that. They're going to want the Switch. If you're a parent in 2019 buying your kid a 3DS, that kid's going to be like, what are you doing? now that kid's spoiled maybe and they should just be appreciative of getting a 3DS at all I would say but nonetheless the kid's gonna be like all my friends have switches or like why my brother has a switch why I have a 3DS like it's not gonna I don't think long term the 3DS is gonna be this funnel thing I think I think it's still gonna taper off by the end of this year early next year they'll probably have one last big holiday season and it's probably this one and maybe they'll do a diamond pearl situation but yeah I don't I still don't see it lasting super long and more generally speaking, it's just interesting to see that games... This idea of, like, games to push an IP to sell other games. It seems to be this new marketing move that Nintendo just is really heavily leaning on. Which makes sense, because IP expansions are their whole gimmick. But it's not just 2DS that uh, is doing this. It's not just mobile apps that's doing this. They're doing it with other demographics. Like, the gamer demographic within the gamer demographic, too. Which is kind of interesting. Like Now, this, th- this one is a much less much less of an investment for Nintendo than anything else. But I don't know if you noticed on Twitter, they've been promoting Bayonetta 1 and 2 by tying it in with Smash Bros. Wii U. Like, they're tweeting out a series of move explainers with anime gifs. Like, Bayonetta, look at what her hair does. Look at her kick. And then they immediately follow up with a second tweet that's sort of like, you may already know this from Smash Bros. And then they tag it with hashtag Smash Bros. Wii U, which is a tag that's only real mileage in this day and age is in the esports world. Especially given that Bayonetta's, you know, like, Dominating a range. dominating character in the eSports world. So they're very clearly going, oh, you know Bayonetta from Smash? Well, hey, if you have a Switch, here's her game. And by the way, if you don't have a Switch, here's her game anyway, you might be interested. So it, it, it's not going to move the needle in the same way that whole orchestrated TV campaign will with, like, the 2DS. But I think it shows that Nintendo's really expanding this idea of, like, IP exposure more than they've ever done before. Like, they have, right now, they basically have their fingers in, like, a, many pies. And they're slowly figuring out how, like, Bring them all together to form inter—I know—air-connected a web of pies, a mega pie, a, a fruit cobbler. I don't know. Whatever it is that you have your fingers in many pies and then they become one giant pie. That's a sort of what they're trying to do here. They're trying to really take all their little separate things and make it one big collective Nintendo. So who knows if it will work, but I think it's interesting to see. Like, I'm, You don't usually see them do stuff like this, so it's kind of interesting. And speaking of esports and the use of hashtag Smash Bros. Wii U, uh Evo 2018 Fish officially uh, had its lineup come out last week and it featured not just hashtag Smash Bros Wii U but also Melee which was kind of surprising I feel well I don't know if it's surprising it's not surprising well, let me rephrase it's, it's a, not surprising because it's still popular it's surprising it's, it's not, still popular yeah it's
1: not surprising because it's been that way for like since well I mean Melee has been there for like 7 years and it's just ma-
0: surprising it's still lasting yeah, so, yeah that, that's the surprising part.
1: Like, I honestly thought like last year was going to be the last year I was kind of hoping Mm-hmm. like not that I mean Melee Melee's a great game but the because the game doesn't get any updates because it's just so old like the only you get the same like top 8 every year and you always get the same top 4 it's always gonna come down between Mango and Hungry Mada Hungrybox Hungry Box. huh? isn't
0: Hungrybox oh no did he move on to Wii U is he even playing anymore it's a uh,
1: you, you, I, was, I was gonna finish um you always get the same top eight and you always get the same top four of just Mango, Armada, Hungry Box, and Mewtwo King. Yeah, it's still there. Yeah. You just like interrupted and then threw me off guard. Okay. Yeah. die. Okay. So because it's always like basically those same four people like fighting it out every single year and it's always the same like four characters, like Fox, Falco, Jigglypuff, and Marth. I don't know, it's just not really fun to watch. At least... At least anymore. I don't know. It, it just kind of lost its... I don't know. Its excitement appeal. Kind of unlike Smash 4, which is still... I mean, besides Bayonetta, um, there's still a lot of, like... There's way more variety. You see did you see Did you see, like, Lucina's and Robins and a bunch of random characters. Like, all played very well. And then there's always those surprises, like, where you get, like, a Japanese player that played Duck Hunt, like, amazingly well last year that was almost like a highlight even though he didn't make it to top 8 that was still like super memorable because mm-hmm. you don't really see Duck Hunt that often especially ones that good that like compete with all the other ones I, I don't see. know I think it's just time for just to retire man yeah just retire from evil I mean obviously Melly will always have a place in like Genesis and those other like more Smash Brothers dedicated tournaments but I think as far as evil is concerned I think it might be time to let it go I
0: don't understand why Nintendo never gave a real name to Duck Hunt it's weird I understand it's a duck and a dog from Duck Hunt but like that's so much the like oh hey I'm playing as Metroid no you're playing as Samus like well that's
1: because you're it, playing as three characters technically two duck three. and dog there's two ducks no you're also playing as the player with the gun oh that's right you're playing oh as- I
0: didn't think of that part because he's shooting at the screen. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, because like the can kicking thing is actually the gun shooting. Yeah, or yeah. all well, 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 his smash attacks. That's why the duck covers himself because he's afraid I that you're going to shoot even, him.
0: I didn't even think about it. I never thought about it. That makes so much sense. Yeah, I, in the this US is eye called, opening. Yeah, and
1: the U.S. is <laughs> called Duck Hunt. I think in Japan it's called Duck Hunt Trio. See, that almost makes a little
0: more sense because at least it's implying they're the things from Duck Hunt. Yeah. Unless I'm playing as the cartridge. But
1: not really Duck Hunt. It's the components no, remember, of Remember the trailer? Like at the end, you yeah. see like the, 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 the hand. Now with the that gun. you mention
0: it, oops, I lost my water bottle cap. Well, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Now that you mention it, um, that makes sense.
1: Right. I mean, I don't. know. It's so old, it's basically the tradition at this point. But I think it also just like gives Smash Bros. more room to, I guess, really shine on its own. We, oh, uh, uh, Smash, Smash Bros. We use yeah.
0: hashtag Smash Bros. We use since I'm apparently calling it that now. Yeah, it uh, it does seem weird to, have, but well, not really weird. But yeah, I don't know if they need both in this day
1: and age no I mean it's it's no different than like if they kept Street Fighter 4 and Street Fighter 5 like forever
0: yeah which they definitely did I mean
1: like like at least like Capcom like they always just keep letting the other previous versions die like Mm -hmm. everyone still loves Marvel's Capcom 2 but they still moved on to Marvel's Capcom 3 that's it on Forever L, but we didn't get Mark with Capcom Infinite.
0: Well, yeah, if you look at the the full lineup here, the only series that's there twice is Smash Bros. Yeah. It's Tekken 7, it's Street Fighter Five, it's the new Blaze BlazBlue uh, cross-tag Bow, which, by the way, will be on Switch. So three Nintendo system games are there. Guilty Gear, uh, the new one, X-Rex Rev 2. I don't know how you're supposed to say XRD. Or, X3rd. Oh. Or, uh, Okay. Uh, Injustice 2, not one, and Dragon Ball Fighters. So, they're all there, but uh-huh. they're all represented by just one game. So, it is odd that Smash has two. Yeah. It's also mm-hmm. interesting that Nintendo actually has more games than uh, Capcom.
1: What a what a changing yeah, for of the, the guard. First time, just because they don't have their yeah. infinite.
0: Yeah, because that just fell to the wayside. Poor Capcom. They were expecting big things from that game. Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite, and that did not happen.
1: Were they? I mean, they we, were. I, 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 they were
0: trying to bare minimum to get big results. And I, I feel they like if they it, were. They, they would have. They gambled bad on that one. Badly on that one.
1: I don't know. I feel like they probably should have waited. Marvel restrictions on them probably hurt Was it game. Marvel
0: that forced them to go to the Cinemax universe route, or I'm was pretty, that Capcom
1: I'm, trying to? I'm pretty sure. Cater? I'm pretty sure it was. If it were them, they would have like probably just kept the same roster of like Marvel characters, like wolverine is like a headliner in all the games true it's always wolverine versus ryu in the trailers and and all the art like they definitely that
0: definitely sounds like a uh disney marvel decision versus oh no yeah definitely yeah yeah god synergize god synergize but yeah so evo's when this year like it's always july right
1: yeah it's usually july this year it's in august though oh that's right that's right Push back. That works out for it you, because
0: doesn't it's usually right around Comic-Con, which is always weirdly conflicting.
1: Yeah, but I'll be in Mexico during that time. Oh,
0: well, they're there, so yeah.
1: you could. Actually, I think it's the day I come back, so oh, which means they can't go, but... They could at least watch. Yeah, and usually, I mean, when you're watching it, you just watch it on. You just watch it for the grand final, so right. just Saturday, Sunday. Right,
0: and you could watch both Smashes, should you choose to do it. so. Although it sounds like you're not going to, because Melee's too boring, but you could, in theory, watch double yeah. the Smash.
1: Yeah, I mean, I watch Hungrybox. He's the only Jigglypuff... Oh, I enjoy the man J- that
0: threw off your train of thought when I name-dropped him four times back-to-back-to-back-to-back.
1: I I still always enjoy watching Jigglypuff fights, but, yeah, Foxes, Mars, it's the same. I mean, I, just, I guess it's kind of the same thing with Jigglypuff. It's just, I just never yeah. get bored of watching Russ. I only know Hungrybox's name because the Reggie
0: battle at the Smash Bros. Invitational. Oh, yeah? And how he was acting kind of fake, like douchey towards reggie although i don't, i think it was fake it seemed fake <laughs> i hope it was fake but anyway that's the news um we have been playing things though i, I do you want to kick it off you were playing celeste i obviously because i've already said a few times went and checked out cruising blast in arcades but what's
1: cruising blast
0: you want me to go first i'll go first yeah go first all right um well before i say how it was can i just say how surprised i was that i was even there like i knew there was a new cruising game out there somewhere but I didn't expect to find it anytime soon, let alone to now be sitting here on the podcast talking about it like that. Totally comic card, but there I was it at Dave and Buster's, and in the corner was all sorts of glowing neon, and it was a new cruising. I mean, and when I say all sorts of glowing neon, I mean this machine is literally like radiant. It has in the back of the cabinet are fake wheels that have led lights that spin around those fake wheels to make it look like the wheel is spinning and those lights are rainbow colored like this thing is eye-catching and um the other notable thing about the cabinet action i think about it is it actually has the nintendo logo very prominently right above the seat which uh you know roth developed it um but the property is actually owned by nintendo uh, even back when Midway was making Cruising USA and Cruising World and Cruising Zaka, it was always kind of a Nintendo joint, so to speak. So that would explain why the logos on it. That explains why this games were always N sixty four exclusive. But to go to Dave and Buster's and see what amounts to the first like Nintendo arcade machine, and who knows how long. I don't think Mario and Sonic or Mario Kart count because they're technically Namco machines. But see like the first Nintendo arcade game. That was cool. It was cool to see, and it helps that I like the old Cruising games, and this one's pretty fun. So. So Cruisin' Blast. First thing you'll immediately notice when you sit down is that the game lacks a number of seemingly key components in a cruising game. Namely, there is no stick for manual driving, and more noteworthy than even that, there is no brake pedal. Cruisin' Blast has zero brake pedal. Every action in the game is handled with just the accelerator. You double tap to do a wheelie, you double tap to drift, you double tap to perform stunts when you launch off a a ramp. Like, for the most part... The game knows what to do in each scenario, although, of course, there's a couple instances where, like, I think I'm doing a stun off a ramp, I end up just doing a wheelie to the ground. Like, I'm, right as I go off the ramp, I'm like, oh, I'll do a stun. It's like, nope, I just fell to the ground doing a wheelie. But then again, I don't know, is that me or the game? Because, like, did I do a wheelie too Did I tap it too soon? Did I tap it too late? That's something that would happen even if there's appropriate buttons or brake pedals or whatever. So I don't know if I blame the game for that. But regardless of if it's your fault or someone else's for messing up the timing of the one button for all the moves... Um, when you do it correctly, it does reward you by building a boost meter you can use. And that's basically the entire premise of the game. Like, I admit it sounds rather insane for it to be this simple. But in practice, it actually results in a really kind of fun, frantic arcade experience. The game's, I mean, it's very clearly made with four people competing at max speeds in mind. Like, braking versus accelerating, oddly, is less critical than, well, you can't even brake. So braking, accelerating versus just coasting is Nobly less critical than like accelerating versus boosting at the right moments it's really just about maintaining the absolute top speed as much as you can for as long as you can while dodging obstacles and navigating the track and avoiding dinosaurs and double-decker buses and whatnot which interestingly enough um those dinosaurs and double-decker buses are also unlockable vehicles in blast so kind of like in the old cruising games I don't know. Did you ever play any of the old cruising games? Just on Cruising '64. Oh, so you played it. Cruising um, USA. Yeah, cruising. So you played it on console because the old arcade ones.
1: Never played it on an arcade.
0: They actually had a number pad to the left of the of the steering wheel, and you could type in specific numeric codes that would let you regain progress on your vehicles you've unlocked and upgraded, as well as. At, well, I guess because you've unlocked and upgraded them, you've also access to new vehicles but uh most of the vehicles in blast and in the old cruising were pretty standard they're always real world licensed and that's here too but then you also have all these things you encounter in the levels like the dinosaur and the double decker bus which are playable in blast you can ride a dinosaur and i mean it, it handles like a car all, really all the cars handle rather similarly but it's just fun to you know ride a dinosaur against a corvette or something like that so now number pass side um the game actually is pretty modern in a lot of ways too. There's the camera that takes your picture like right at the start and it puts your picture in the rankings. There's an interesting QR code system where at the end of a track you can scan to access an online leaderboard. You scan the QR code, you access the online leaderboard of track time. You can enter your track time. It ties in with the name you inputted in the game. The weird thing about that is the online leaderboard that it takes you to when you scan the code kind of looks like an Excel spreadsheet more than an actual website. Like it's literally just a table on white with black text. It's very strange. Like I don't know how to describe it. And it's an Excel spreadsheet.
1: Doesn't sound very but exciting.
0: It's it's not particularly exciting. But um, but that's okay because that's an optional thing on the side. In terms of what you actually see in the game, like it's colorful, it's vibrant, it's flashy. It isn't the most impressive graphics in the world, but I feel like you know they took the cruising look and they were able to upgrade it to modern times. It, it has like that slight polygonal look, but it actually fits. It looks really good. The one thing about the game that is not so good is besides the weird lack of break pal, which you can kind of overcome, is it's short on content. I mean, admittedly, you don't you don't need much for an arcade game. Like there's five or so real world locations you race to have diff- different difficulties. Um it makes sense for games targeting tar- targeting more casual play like this. But I'm just thinking that if they were to say bring it to a home system like the Switch, uh you probably need to flush things out a bit. And I'd actually love to see an enhanced version on Switch, but they wouldn't to f- flush things out a bit. I mean, like, the backbone's already there. It meshes super well with what the Switch is all, all about. Like, you know, it has the local multiplayer component. has that classic property that can evoke nostalgia. It, it, it works on so many levels. Plus, again, it's just really fun, even its simplicity. But they'd obviously need to put more cars. They need to put more tracks for sure. They might want to consider a brake button. Crazy thought. Like, just to add a third level of involvement when driving. But for the most part... I think Cruise and Blaster actually translate pretty well to Switch. And just as a matter of principle, Blast would be the first Cruise and game in arcades that did not have a Nintendo console port. So they just got to do it. They they can't just leave it hanging like that. So so yeah, I mean, right now, last I heard, last I read, rolls has no plans to bring it to Switch. Oh. But they are looking to somehow integrate the Switch in some way. They're saying, like, well, if you bring your Switch to the arcade and it does something, I don't know what that means. But they can update these games remotely now. Like, arcades have come a long way. So it's certainly possible that something down the line could be built in. But uh, until then, my dreams of a home cruising Blast aren't going to happen. So the most I can do is recommend that if you see it out in the world, it is definitely worth taking for a spin or two. Like, it is, even with its eccentricities, even with the lack of a brake pedal, it still works. It's still really fun. And it's just the right dose of sensory overload that cruising usually is. So I, I recommend it. It's very... In terms of Century Overload, it's very reminiscent of Cruising Exotica specifically. So, yeah. Huh. So that's Cruising Blast. It's not exactly the same as the others, but it's still pretty fun if you're just looking for a casual couple races.
1: Huh. Yeah. Sounds good. Misleading yeah, title, but.
0: It, I had a blast it's true you have a blast it's just a very short period of time that that blast lasts I thought it was going to
1: be the first time um, cruising incorporated like weaponized combat <laughs> oh
0: no 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 it's not. It's no Vigilante 8 let me tell you that that would be a great game to, why aren't car combat games a thing again um, well, we were talking earlier about cyclical game genres like you know ones that come in and out of style I feel like I
1: mean Twisted Metal was still a thing in the PS3 area
0: yeah but that was it it used to be Twisted Metal Vigilante 8 I think there were one or two others but
1: I don't think Vigilante 8 made it past PS1
0: it was on the you're PS. Yeah, they the had CS1 two era, on PS One and X and
1: N sixty four. And that was it. Yeah. Um, Twisted Metal made it past. Made it to PS two, PS three. I'm sure there was. I'm maybe sure there was one other. coming to PS four at some point. There was one. Um, I forgot what it's called, but there was a tune. I guess version of um, Twisted Metal. I forgot what it's called. But Rocky
0: it, Ra- Wasn't it the Rocky Racers game?
1: It wasn't. Was well, it? Wasn't a. Oh no no, game. no no! It was
0: Cell. Yeah, Cell, cell, cell Damage Cell Damage by EA, yeah. Yeah, that... That came out GameCube, Yeah, that like, was, launch-ish, like, the first year. It's when EA still did that thing where they put the big blue banner on the bottom of every box of theirs. Yeah. Like, it, with it, the logo in the middle. It
1: also got a remaster recent. Well, not recently, but really? for the PS3, like, an HD remake. You know, just like, Yeah, that's right. I didn't know that. They actually. just cleaned it up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, actually,
0: cruising could use weapons. That would be an inch- That would be something that makes it more... You know, if they do like the full arcade experience and then do some sort of weapon battle mode, that could make it more appealing on Switch maybe. I don't know.
1: Maybe.
0: But yeah, while I was racing around in Dave and Busters, you were climbing a mountaintop essentially, right? Yeah. Is that what Celeste ultimately is about?
1: Yeah, finally one of the games that I've been looking forward to since the Switch got it, like its second the reel before it came
0: out. It was in the uh in the indie spot the Nindy Spotlight video that came out a month before the Switch launched. And then a yeah. the year and then 10 months later. Yeah.
1: Like, like just learning that it was by the people that made Towerfall, which is just a really fun multiplayer game where you just shoot arrows at each other. Also coming to Switch. Yeah. Um, like that one just like from the trailer just looked like a really fun, like difficult platformer. And it still is, except I didn't realize it was going to be, it was going to have a bigger emphasis on the story than I expected. I knew mm-hmm. there was going to be like a plot to it, like reviews and impressions. I kept um, praising the Like, the plot that, like, kind of focuses around, like, dealing with depression and anxiety and those kind of things. And, yeah, I don't know. It was just really well done. Like, I went from not really caring too much about the characters and story. In the beginning, I just wanted to get to the platforming to actually caring about the characters and the story. And the platforming was still there and great. So, it was, like, a (laughs) win-win. And, I don't know, it's just really interesting just coming off of um, The End is Nigh because that one pretty much gave me exactly what I wanted in terms of like don't give me s don't really give me a story, just take me straight to the hard platforming. It was just the nitty-gritty gameplay. But this one is like separates itself from that by I guess focusing more on the story, but I guess um, just having a completely different mechanic and in the end as night you're really just jumping. There's no double jump. You can cling to things, kinda of like a wall grab and then jump from the wall. But that's pretty much it, and then from there, the other just explores every possible way to, I guess, make that mechanic difficult. Just like how can you take the simplistic action of just jumping and make it hard, and Celeste just does the same thing, but except with a dash mechanic where you can dash in any direction. So that's just it's that's it's gimmick. So they're, so everything revolves around that.
0: They're both ultimately the the idea of like going from little self-contained platform puzzle rooms of sorts but, or not puzzle right like they're both you go into a room you have to yeah. clear that room you go to the next yeah room, the end of the night room. is definitely
1: more like that like almost every level in the end of the night is is a single screen but in right. celeste that's not trying to say yeah <laughs> but in last, um they do like i don't know i guess span entire large room that you have to scroll through or like r- oh, okay. run around yeah like they do start single screen then whenever you move to a different screen you could think of that as your checkpoint so if you die you instantly respawn right at the beginning of that screen But if it's -hmm. it's a huge room, you'll just start at the beginning of that area. And there are some areas where you have to traverse a long stretch of just scrolling, like your typical 2D side scrolling. But if you die, you have to start all the way back from the beginning. Which... What? (laughs) So they're savvy enough to let you start
0: in the right place in the rooms, but when you do the long stretches, they... It's pretty much much whenever the, the
1: screen... Like Jeez. I guess, like auto pans, like it does in a metric game when oh, you go through a door. Okay. That's, that's those are your checkpoints. Gotcha. If it's just scrolling with you, then then no. then no.
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah, and a lot of the later levels, I like, definitely have a lot of that, mm-hmm. which is fine because that's like when I was like, all right, come on, game, like you know, you could get harder. But I mean, off and as far as challenge go, like it definitely has the challenge you're looking for. It even has challenges that you probably didn't expect to, because it has <laughs> um. Besides, like, the later levels, just becoming pretty difficult in a very fun way. That's what I love about these games. They always get really hard, but they're always still really fun to figure out. They're, like, platforming puzzles because there's essentially only one way to get through it, and that's mm-hmm. by just doing everything perfectly. So it's, like, figuring out, all right, where do I have to, like, start that jump? Where do I have to hit that dash? And once you do it, it's almost like putting in a password really quickly. But... On top of the regular levels, there's also B-side levels that you unlock by collecting these cassette tapes, and those are just really hard versions of the world you just encountered. And those are also like, if you die, you have to oh, it's, kind of start over. It's like the challenge rooms and mutant muds. kind of like that, right? yeah.
0: Because you have the normal one, and you enter, and it's like a weird yeah. A lot map. of
1: um, a lot of these kinds of games have, that. like even the End of Night, like instead of collecting um cassette players, you collect cartridges, and you unlock. Like these eight bit hard levels. Uh-huh. And then Celeste has another one, these seaside cassettes that are even harder levels and like at that point like the difficulty is just like for pros only, it's just like nuts. Which the end is I has. Like it has like glitch cartridge levels and then it has like some other crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know, the end is is nice. I mean the end is nice. Celeste, um I don't know, I it, it I knew it was gonna be a fun game, like just because of the pedigree and I don't know, and it was somehow better than what I expected especially the payoff at the end like just like seeing the characters just kind of develop with their little text I mean they're they kind of it's like banjo kazooie banter like where they just speak in gibberish but you read the text and mm-hmm. they have little character I mean they have little pictures on the side to show like who's talking right and the voice pitches also change depending on who's talking like the the male character has a very deep sounding I don't know gibberish. Maybe, yeah gibberish and then the the main like, female protagonist has a very high pitched one, mm-hmm. but the little boxes where their where their pictures are also kind of animated, like not so much, but they do like change with like any other text based. Um, what am I thinking of? RPGs, the, like the old like 2D the visual or... like like visual novels. Whenever characters they're talking, oh, yeah, sure. you see like yeah. their little yeah, yeah like their profile pictures. Yeah. But the way large like,
0: RPGs from the 2D era, yeah. yeah,
1: but the way like those are used later is also really interesting. And that's a tantalizing
0: tidbit. I'm glad, like, don't spoil it. But that. No, yeah, I don't want to spoil it. it, it they use the little character profile headshots in interesting ways. is something you don't usually hear about games. I'm, I'm actually very <laughs> intrigued now by what that means.
1: Yeah, it's pretty cool. But I could definitely see a lot of people maybe getting too frustrated at some point. Well, that's one thing do. the game does well. Oh yeah, well, one thing I
0: know is about assist mode.
1: Yeah, the assist mode is definitely there for those that just want to experience the story, which, like on its own, is definitely worth doing. I let's see. The game is fourteen bucks. It took me. It's, a, are you sure? I think I thought it was twenty. Fourteen ninety nine. Was that intro
0: price versus? I think it's currently twenty. I'll check.
1: I'll just check. I want, safe than sorry. I wanted to say fifteen ninety, but I guess it might have been nineteen ninety
0: nine. And they could get away with it given their pedigree. Let's hmm. see. I might have also misremembered. That's why I'm checking. Um,
1: yeah, I don't remember.
0: It is loading. Is what it is. Oh, is it tight. Nineteen.
1: Oh, it is nineteen. Nineteen. Well. Well, for 1999, I mean, it took me five hours to beat the game, but there is still so... I mean, make the credits roll, you get the whole story. But, mm-hmm. I mean, between unlocking all the B-side levels, beating those levels, they have... Like, every level has a strawberry that you can reach... That you could try to get. Um, It doesn't unlock anything. It's just an extra challenge. I mean, I guess it just makes this, like, end title screen change a little bit. It's not really... I mean, it's, it's there for the challenge. No, it's, the-
0: it's for the completionists.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like in like in Super Meep where at the end of the night, like every level, you can just beat the level, but there's like either a Band-Aid or a Tumor, yes, mm-hmm. Tumors, and you just like grab them. Like They're hard to get, but if you get them, I mean, it's just more rewarding. But yeah, between all of this, there's so much content to get through. So it's definitely, definitely worth the price.
0: I do, as the guy who has the reputation of not being good at games, I'm granted I haven't played Celeste, but I did... I want to say one thing about that assist mode that we sort of mentioned in passing? I really like this trend of games sort of destigmatizing, like, oh, if you're not good at games, it's okay. Like this one, I mean, they, from what I saw, I only read up on. It. There's some article about it, and I was curious, so I was reading it, and um, and it was saying that like it encourages you to play without assist mode, but then what it does is it's, like very gently, it's like, oh, well, if you need this, try this technique or try doing this differently. In the sense of, it's not just you turn on and off assist mode. You control, like, the speed of the game. You make yourself invisible or, like, have infinite stamina. You can literally control how the air dashes work. Like, it's very granular, and it, that's really nice because if you're bad at only one thing, the game's going to be like, well, you just suck at games. It lets you adjust the one thing, which would be kind of cool if more games did, I feel like. I don't know. Because, mm-hmm. like, I mean, I'm not saying, like, oh, I'm not... You know, I, I need all these things necessarily, or someone does or doesn't, but... The fact that for if you want it it is there and it's just kind of like yeah it's just a mode in the game it's no different than saying the the resolution on your pc game or whatever like that's kind of what they're trying to make it into which is nice because as games become more mainstream and something like celeste is appreciated it's like like because all the reviews i saw like oh it's like a work of art and the story and you were saying about the the story being like this a big deal about so people might want to experience the story but can't necessarily if they're a more casual gamer, get through it. Or if they're a sucky gamer like me, yeah. get through it. So it's cool that games are trying to address that. And I think like Celeste is probably one of the more interesting implementations, yeah, more I, so I, than I, I funky Kong really, and tropical freeze. I
1: think it's just really interesting that the game is tackling this type of story with a really difficult platformer. Like usually this kind of thing is used for more of a like art house platformer. Yeah, yeah like a narrative yeah. dimension where you're like yeah, there's like isn't much kinda of like braid. Mm-hmm. Like like usually just like puzzle game, like there isn't much of a challenge in the platforming where it's just more it's a less thought skill. experiment. Yeah
0: it's less skill and more mental task.
1: Yeah, yeah, so I thought it was really cool and just different. And I mean I guess if you want to get a sense of I guess its difficulty when I beat the game, I think I had died about it, it tells it keeps track of how many times I right. die. Like all these games do. I think I died like seven hundred and like around seven hundred and fifty times by the time I beat in the Celeste? game. Yeah, it's the last.
0: What was end is Knife for
1: comparison? Um, yeah, fortunately, um when if like as of now, like I have like five hours on both of them. Mm-hmm. And and the end of the night, last I checked that was like 1,500, 1,600 times.
0: I wish I had water in my mouth, like a spit take <laughs> right now, but
1: <laughs> Yeah. That's crazy. I mean like both of them like when you die you respawn almost immediately, so like there's like no time. Like, and the thing that happens in both games, especially like with me and Celeste towards the end, um Sometimes you'll accidentally kill yourself because you just like want to get through the level, and mm-hmm. there's like a like a little spiky hazard. Everything kills you in one hit. So there's a spiky hazard right in front of you, and you just move slightly forward, and you instantly die. And then because you're responding so fast, you immediately want to like get back into it. So they just, just get in a loop. <laughs> yeah. So I, I found myself sometimes dying like four or five times in a row in different spots just because I kept like missing a little spike that was yeah. right, right there, or just yeah. say so wanted to get through it. Um. One thing I will note that is um. When I'm playing on the TV, if you have a pro controller, it's way better to play with the D-pad. Just because the analog stick just feels so high up that it feels mm-hmm. like I can't react fast enough to, like... I don't know, I guess get those precise movements when you have to, like, air dash. Because that game really does require you to, like, be really precise with your movement. Just like the In this night, I'd rather right. play with the D-pad. But if you're playing with the... I guess in undocked mode, the analog stick, because it's so much shorter... Actually works pretty well in Celeste.
0: Uh, so the joy, so the actual the stick on the actual Joy-Con, yeah, the stick is on better, the yeah the
1: stick on the Joy-Con is better the for stick this on too. The Pro Controller, yeah, because it so trumps both. Yeah, because the stick on the Joy-Con is good. I mean, on the Pro Controller is good for minute movements, right? But not for something where you have to like really flick left and right really fast in a short yeah. amount of time, and. Yeah, using the button that the D-pad doesn't really work well. This does so. seem to
0: almost, like, validate the fact that Nintendo didn't put a real D-pad on the Joy-Con. Like, I think, I ultimately still think they're going to put, put out a D-pad Joy-Con at some point. But, everyone's like, ah, oh, the stick isn't as good on the Joy-Con. It's like, yeah, but it, it works as a I D-pad, mean, D-pad, almost. Like, yeah, more I mean, so than a normal it, stick.
1: It works. I still found myself preferring to play with the Pro Controller's oh, yeah, D-pad. Yeah, yeah. But even then, um... I don't know, there was some press that kind of drove me crazy because I don't know if it was the controller or something, but like I could have sworn I was pressing like just straight up, but because I guess I have to, you have, at some point like, you might have to like dash up and to the right and mm-hmm. then immediately dash straight up. But for some reason I kept reading it as up and to the left. It would I would go like up to the right, then up to the left, which would end oh, up killing weird. me. And that's with the Joy Con? Oh no, with the Pro, oh, the Pro Controller. And I don't know, like I just felt like I had to really, I guess, watch myself because maybe the d-pad is very sensitive and like it it could tell like even if you're holding up if you're slightly tilting your thumb to the to the left or right or just mm-hmm. go in that direction mm-hmm. it, it's almost like it's reading it as a I don't know it's like you're pressing an invisible circle kind of like the <laughs> the d-pad that the Xbox one has as an option the like pro the, the, the pro mode yeah. yeah where it's like a round thing that's like apparently really good for fighting games
0: you know why that's like that Well, fun fact, Nintendo has the patent on the D-pad that Nintendo uses. That's why if you look at PlayStations, if you look at Xboxes, if you look at third-party controllers, the D-pads are never quite Nintendos. Like, they're always some weird variant. It's not necessarily because they're better. They had to work around the patent that Nintendo had. Just the more you know. Oh,
1: yeah. I'd recommend the last.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I mean, with I may actually check it out because it's getting like you seem to really like it a lot, but a lot of praise for it all over. I mean, def- there's obviously a way for me to get through it if yeah, this this I. Yeah,
1: you'll definitely do the fifth month. Oh,
0: okay, okay, Mister Hotshot, you're probably right.
1: But <laughs> I mean, I'm willing to bet you like, you're probably right. A hundred bucks. I'm not because you're right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, there's nothing to bet. I agree, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it definitely seems like it's one of the early highlights of 2018 for gaming in general, not even just Switch. Yeah. At least based on like what I've seen online, so. So yeah, that, I guess that just about does it, unless there's any other late-breaking news or no. anything. I don't think there is. So I guess we'll wrap it up here. Um, we'll be back with our next episode in two weeks' time on March 4th, where we'll have all the news and game impressions you could ever want, possibly. I'd, I'd, maybe not. I don't know. I do know we'll at least have the first look at how Switch sales are doing in January, like post-holiday. Like, is the momentum still going? Is it not? So we'll take a look at that. Um, along, of course, with any other news. To make sure you don't miss it, you can, as always, subscribe to us on the wide variety of podcasting apps available to you and yours, including iTunes and Google Play Music and TuneIn and Stitcher and Podcast Addict. And I'm forgetting some. There's many. There's a lot. Or you can just, just follow us on Twitter. I Stitcher
1: is a podcast app. Huh? Did you say Stitcher. Stitcher. That doesn't sound like a podcast. Stitcher
0: is a podcast app. Stitcher, through the power of Stitcher, you can listen to Ram Nintendo in millions of car infotainment systems. That's the real thing.
1: Car infotainment? You know, like
0: the the entertainment setup in a car, like that screen or whatever? Sure. Yeah, Stitcher is on um, some car company. I want to say it's Fiat Chrysler, or maybe it's GM. One of them has Stitcher baked. Maybe both have Stitcher baked in as an app. And if you go into the app, you can actually find us in your car and play it through the car directly without needing a phone or anything. So... Or if you have Alexa or Google Play or Google Home, you can literally just ask to play the random Tendo podcast and it will work. Or the other thing you could do is just follow us on Twitter at Ram and then we'll just tweet out when there's a new episode. You don't need to talk to any devices or drive any cars. You can just click a link. Whatever your heart desires, really. But uh, you, in fact, if your heart really desires it, you can also follow us individually. I'm JSR7 on Twitter. Angel is Wero, W E I R O underscore O on Twitter. And, yeah, that, that just about does it. So we'll be back in two weeks' time. Um, yeah. Yeah. If yeah. you guys want, go give us give us some uh, listen boosts. Go listen to us on every device you can possibly find with every series you can possibly find. It'll be a grand old time for mostly us. And we'll see you in two weeks.